can you before the theme song attach a disclaimer? Hi guys, I'll do it now. Hi guys, this is producer Ben. Um, if Griffin and uh, David are listening, I just want to apologize. <laughs> if Griffin, I'm David, or Dana are listening, I'm sorry for my behavior <laughs> and for being late. I am a saucy boy. And also apologize to Rachel because she had to produce the first. And sorry, producer Rachel. Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. I'm Nathaniel of the Yangees. Hawkeye, adopted son of Chingachkuk, of the Mohican people. Let the children of the dead, Monroe, and the Yankees officer go free. This belt, which is the record of the days of my father's podcast, speaks for my truth. <laughs> okay. Good job. Thank you. Sorry. It's my favorite scene. That's your favorite scene? That whole scene. The whole language scene. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. The simultaneous the whole, translation. Where, right, right, where there's four languages and everyone knows two. Yes. But people know different twos, <laughs> different pairs. We're saying this is not a very talky movie in relation to most Michael Mann movies, which tend to be pretty dialogue heavy. Sure. He uh, his, his but then this down. is this weird scene where you just, I, I love the sound mix where you're hearing the echo yes, yeah. of the translators constantly and, after every line. And you're like, wow, this guy is, he's fast. He's, he's getting that to French right away. Vite. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we've come to that point, uh, uh, friends, countrymen. Sure. Uh, the the titular uh, uh, episode. The titular episode. The namesake of, our, of, of this miniseries, because of course this is blank check with Griffin and David. Right. Podcast about filmography. Right. You're Griffin Newman. I'm I, David. Uh, of course, right. everyone right. knows. Of course. Right. Uh, directors of massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Now this is a weird one. Because this is his biggest hit. Uh, yes. Adjusted for Inflation, his biggest hit. And even Unadjusted, it's pretty close to being Unadjusted, I think hit. only Collateral is right. more. Yeah. This was like the closest thing he had to like a real deal, no asterisk. People went to see it in the theaters and were like, I saw that film, I remember it. It's kind of his most straightforward movie. Sure. But it comes after a really long gap in his filmography. That's, I guess so. What, what is it, four or five years? Six I, years, maybe. I think maybe. it's six or yeah, seven. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess Manhunter is 1986. Yeah. Right. And this is 92 or 93? Uh, I think this is 92. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it comes after a long gap. Right. And uh, it, I think he'd, he'd gone back to television. That's what's he'd crazy. He'd made like LA Takedown. He'd like. Uh, and he made a little show made, called Miami Vice. Oh, really? Wait, wait. It's that, it's, that, it's that late in the 80s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Right. That's the big thing is like, here's this guy who's in TV. And the guy we're talking, of course, is Michael Mann. The miniseries is called The Cast of the Potheacans. Right. A.K.A. Michael Mansplaining. But he starts out on TV. He gets out of the TV ghetto, which always there was this real grande line. You can't, you can't cross it. It's so tough to go from TV to movies. He does it. He makes three movies. They're well-reviewed, or at least the first and the third are. All three underperform. And then he's like, cool, back to TV. Right. Then makes this like culture-divining show. Does a bunch of other TV stuff. Crime and then story. comes back with a historical epic sure. starring the world's most intense actor. Totally. His yeah. only sort of like classic movie star action hero role 
Here's a question you about that. How talk. how big was Daniel? What was Daniel Day Lewis to the public at that point? I mean, he, obviously he'd been in my beautiful laundrette, but was he like an arty British guy? He, he won, won the Oscar. Oscar. This is his he's, first movie right. after winning oh, the Oscar. My left foot. Okay. This yeah. is his immediate my left foot follow up. I mean, immediate being three years later, but right. he was a he didn't do a lot. Yeah, you know, he was he took right. his time. Oh oh, did oh. someone just? Hi, Ben. Oh, my God. What a twist. Standing outside our window. I'm glad uh, he's alive. Let's clarify. Not in the studio, <laughs> no. because who's manning the ones and zeros, of course, is producer, producer Rachel. Producer Rachel. Because uh, Ben didn't show. But ben now he's shown. didn't show. And let's check the old clock. Clockaroo. 48 minutes late. 49. It just hit 49, <laughs> and he's flashed double peace signs. Uh-huh. While wearing a, a jacket around his, we have this very professional podcast on our podcast. We have a very we are shambles today. Very professional podcast, and of course, our guest uh, who spoke before she was introduced, which is exactly what we want on this show, <laughs> is the great Dana Stevens. Hello, hi Dana. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here uh, as a witness to the cast of the Podhicans. Um, Yes, he had said that he hated being in period stuff. And that, Obviously, he'd done like Room of the View. He's so good in right. Room of the View, playing like a total prig. Is you know? Age of Innocence after this? Yeah, Age of Innocence okay. is the next year. And he's done. But that's with Marty. Right, right. Unbearable lightness of being is like him doing a more that's sort of modern thing. But that's period, and that's you know a Tony. Right. right. Uh, it's a more recent uh, period. Whoa. Oh, 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 oh. Lemonade All good. down. All lemonade good. down. Lemonade up. Uh, that's a Tony, um, you know, a novel right. adaptation, right? Like, I mean, even though it's very sexy. But so are you saying this is in line with what you would have thought DDL would choose during this well, time? This it is and it shift. isn't, right? Like, it's a novel. It's a famous old novel. It's a period movie. But also it's like he's shirtless and he's he was wielding playing more an axe. Posh people. He was playing more intellectual people. But this is definitely also, I mean, in My Left Foot, which was his last big role, there was all the talk of like, oh, he's so method. And he was like, he never got out of the, the chair. Time, right. right. He, and this too, it's like, oh, he went and he lived in the woods and, you know, he, he became one with nature, right? right. Like the myth of Daniel Day-Lewis uh, is, is, is happening right now. But it is in service of a more conventional movie star role, you know? I mean, you can tell how intense he is in this movie, but it's also the kind of role that like Mel Gibson could have done a shallow totally. version of, you know? He could have just done a surface version of this guy walking in here. Uh huh. Really? Are you? Uh huh. I don't know if you're. You're late. Let me. Ben, I don't know if. Um, hi. Hi. Hey, Dana. Hi. Good to meet you. Dana, nice to meet you. <laughs> Pleasure. I love your. I love your show. Oh, your thank work. you. Yeah. Don't uh, trip on my thing. Rachel, do you want? Uh, we got. It. Hey, Ben. How are you? I'm bad. Uh huh. Are those your three vitamins in front of your computer? <laughs> They're vitamins to keep me alive. Cool. Uh, anyway, sorry I was late. Um, I had a night. We could get into it. Probably shouldn't. Nope. Nope. Let's uh, not do let's that. Let's talk about the, yeah, the, the last of the Mohicans. Sure, sure. Can I Can I just say, uh, Dana, uh, very excited to have you on the show. Yeah. Long very overdue. happy to be here. Uh, a thing we like doing on this show is like completing uh, groups, especially with like other movie podcasts. You know, we want like the full crossover. So you write for Slate. You host, uh, or one of the hosts on the Pop Culture Gab Fest, but you have a new podcast too. And here's what I like about it new podcast, but now retroactively, we finish the group. Which group? Flashback. Oh, that's right, because we've had Cam on the show. We've had Cam on the show. That's right. Done. So, yes, Cam Collins, who's the critic for Vanity Fair, and I have just started a new podcast on Slate that's called Flashback, and it's uh, an old movie podcast. So, essentially, we're going to trade off, and each time one or the the other of us will choose. 
something from, you know, the, the golden sure. early age of cinema, which we're defining as essentially 1895 sure. through 1999. Oh, okay. All right. So, oh, it's oh, like, wow. like, how golden are we talking? Okay, yeah. all right, all right. Um, yeah. Because we want to have the freedom to, to jump around. So we've sure. already yeah. talked about, we kicked off with talking about Gaslight, the Q Core version oh, from 1944, With Topical. And then, uh, yeah, we're trying, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forever we're, topical. We're Forever. trying to choose stuff that has, you know, has some hold on the present day for whatever reason. And right. then we talked about Wanda, which was fantastic. The Barbara Loden movie yes. from 1970, I yes. believe. And uh, the next choice, what, what did we do after that? Oh, we talked about Three Days of the Condor, which was super fun. I love that movie. And uh, I feel like that's a director that you guys should do. Um, Pakula? Is it Pakula? Wait, who directed Three no, Days of the Condor? No, it's... Um, uh, uh, fuck. Wait, Condor. is it Pollock or yes, it's yes. Pollock. It's Pollock. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought I would, it was McGee. <laughs> I would love to do Pollock. He's um, Ben's very amused with himself. He's got a very <laughs> robust filmography. Right? Like he made a lot of movies. He made a lot of movies. But I mean, he made like yeah. He 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 he's a cl- he worked in every genre. He was one of those like. Uh, let me make a period epic or like, let me make a Western. Let that me seems make a, suitable yeah. to blank check. No, no, that's what we, we often like, like Ang Lee, someone right. we did, like he's like worked in any genre. Like, yeah. you know, we like people who hop around. But yeah, so every two weeks, if you want to subscribe to Slate okay. Plus, yeah. And the first two podcasts, uh, first two episodes of that podcast are free. And after that, they're going to be for Slate Plus members only. But it's so cheap to join. You should join Slate is it, Plus. How much is Slate Plus? It's $35 oh, yeah. a year. Oh, the first year. Yeah, yeah. It's like a dime a day. Can I Can I just say sincerely, I kind of like that everyone's just adopting Plus as the thing. Plus. I kind of like that people aren't coming up with crazy terminology. And it's just like, if you pay for the thing, it's plus. The only thing that annoys would annoy me, though, is if like you spent like three weeks brainstorming a name and you came out of it with like, I don't know, blank check plus. Like, you know, <laughs> like, you know like. right. I mean, we spent like nine months brainstorming our name. We probably should have just called it plus. My pitch, you yeah. just go uh, like it would be blank check. Yup. Exclamation point as bonus. Ben's just coming in like so hot to so make up for the hot. fact like that he was burning late. on fire. Yeah. I am. I'm sorry. Yes. All right. I'm hot. Uh, I'm, look at me. Yep. Yep. Super hot. Thank you, Dana. As a as a connoisseur of classic films, and at some point, I'm going to hijack this podcast to be able to talk about Buster Keaton. At some point, because uh, you're you're working on a Buster Keaton book right now. Do a blank check on Buster Keaton. Talk about all his. <sighs> he movies. was on I our bracket. Please. He I've been pushing Dana. He's my guy. I've been pushing really hard. We Once did a our year, March we Madness have a March bracket. Madness bracket so that fans can pick like um, who we talk about next. Yes. And Keaton was on the bracket. He was on the bracket. Those Philistines. They don't realize what they're missing. They I don't. For, I forget who he lost to. It was probably like Michael Bay or something. <laughs> like, I forget who knocked him out of there. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, if you do have any listeners who are Keaton fans, they should know that I'm writing a book on him right, right. now. And it's supposed to come out next year. So That's so awesome. Not a biography, but a sort of critical, I don't know how to describe it, like an appreciation. And your Twitter handle letter. is uh, the high sign, which is one of my favorite shorts of his. Uh, the 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 bit uh the like the shooting gallery thing. Yep. It's like, have you seen? I have, have you not, seen I have it? I'm no Keaton expert. I have seen like what everyone knows of Keaton. You know, like the very very famous Keaton movie. That would kick off your podcast if you did it because that was his first self produced yes. independent short. Yes, not the first released, but the first made. That's we would probably put all the shorts on Blank Check Plus. <laughs> They'd be behind the paywall, and then we would do the main features. Everything the sort of, to like, the our hospitality. Well, and, well no, oh, no, no, because that gets into the MGM era, my okay, friend. No, our hospitality is still his his independent production. In fact, oh, it was his right. first feature. You know what? Yes, I was confusing it. No, it was with, not his first feature. It was his yes. second feature. What's the one I'm confusing? I think it you're with? confusing with Spite Marriage, yes, perhaps. That's the one. Uh, I don't know. The yeah. one MGM I'd want to throw in is Cameraman because I love Cameraman. Oh yeah, I just saw that on a big screen at the San Francisco Silent it's Film Festival jam. with a live orchestra. It was 
it was absolutely dazzling. You know, I, to- I told Griff that you were doing this. I knew he'd be hyped up about it. This is another thing I like about silent films. Go ahead. Is that you can, you can see have the them live orchestra. a bunch of times with different scores. Right. I have and a question. Dramatically- yeah. Why, so- why no sound? They didn't have the technology. Oh, really? No one talked back then, man. I have to Everyone was, Everyone was real mute. quiet. <laughs> the audio producer doesn't know why there wasn't sound. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> yeah. And that's the first mistake he's made all day. Yeah. Um, no, but it's not like a cool thing because we're like so used to I mean, Michael Mann's an exception is because he's like constantly fiddling with his movies and re-releasing them. But so often we're used to like movies as being these like very fixed things. Sure. And if you're watching like a Buster Keaton movie, depending on where you rent it from or which distributor you're buying your disc from or where you see it, it could be a live orchestra, it could be a pre-recorded soundtrack, but it could be any number of soundtracks. You know how there's like Roman statues, I mean ancient statues and like busts and all, and they were all colored. Right. And we don't know what the colors were. Like we oh, think of what? like, yeah, you know, you think of like yeah, those Greek class- statues and Roman statues I, were painted and gilded, painted. This. and gilded with gold and stuff. They, Not only that, when Notre Dame burned like, recently, I learned that the sculptures on the front of the cathedral were originally painted and gilded. What, like Boom. the gargoyles? Yeah. Well, the gargoyles are more recent, but like the saints okay. that are around the doors. Like, and we don't, I mean, we can sort of, I think, guess at what they might have looked like. And what yeah. they might have looked like, I think, was like kind of what we would think of as really tacky. Like lots of bright, crazy colors, gilding, like yeah. you said, all that stuff. But we look at it and we're like, yeah. Ancient Rome was just white. It was just alabaster. Like that, but like that's all just because of how we look at the things now. What if David originally had like a ton of acne? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I mean, that's later. I don't think David was it. Was David painted? Probably not because he was, you know, that in that period they were imitating the so called classical purity of the old sculptures. That still that still blows my mind. I just want to imagine all those sculptures looked like garbage pail kids' cards. Like when they were painted, the details were just like sweat marks yeah. and like boogers and like yeah, stubble, stubble. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Like a, a a little bandage, like an X. It looked like when you doodled in your history books and would just add gross details, right? Like an eye patch. Oh God, I love this episode. You already. could make them vaporwave too if you wanted to. And, I'm just saying, out of here. I'm too hot. All right, leave the studio. Oh. Um. Well, this, okay, so we'll go, I'm, we'll get, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on Buster Keaton again. I just wanted to stump a little bit here because we, I, I want to sell our listeners on uh, the idea of him being an interesting guy to cover. The and other, I would so come back and well, do any movie. one of the first film auteurs, right? Yeah. I mean, right? He yeah. was like, Kind yes. of inarguably. I mean, especially because like as like actor, writer, director, producer, everything. Editor. He edited yes. his own movies too. Yes. And he is fascinating because by all accounts, uh, he was this guy who was like, it's a living, like clock in, clock out. Well, just born to born to it. You know, he right. was a vaudeville guy. He right. grew up as a as a child star, basically, in vaudeville. In right. a very, very, very violent family act. Right. Like he didn't have any pretensions about it. It was just like, this is the job. This is the trade. Oh, yeah. And he hated being called an artist or thought right. of as an artist. In and he was way. like exacting about doing mm-hmm. things correctly. Mm-hmm. Much like Michael Mann. Much like Griffin Newman. <laughs> Much like Griffin Newman. <laughs> Um, yeah, he rules. He's the number one guy. Sure. I um, hope your listeners enjoyed this hefty sidebar on Buster Keaton. Oh, so this is nothing compared to the sidebars they get served up sometimes. But uh, here's a question for you. Uh, Dana, have you seen any of the older versions of Last of the Mohicans? No, and I just we saw, just about calling this up on Amazon, I saw yeah. that there's a silent version. Yeah. And so wa- since I'm deep in silent film yeah. right now, I want to watch it. There's a 1920, I believe, German version. This this has been made, this novel yes. by James Fenn and Mark Cooper has been made into so many movie and TV yeah. versions. I watched about half of the silent one last night. Really? The Wallace Beery when one? When I couldn't sleep. Yes. <laughs> Classic uh, you. Yep. 
Uh, oh, so it wasn't a German. It's an American movie. That one's American. Well, and no, Wallace Beery is is uh, Natty Bumpo. He's he's Hawkeye. Uh, Wallace no. Beery is Magua. Yes, yes. Weird. He's he's the oh, bad of course guy. he's the villain. Right. the villain. Right, right. Uh, it's not very good. Sure. And it's also one of those. Well, uh, what is it like? A t- you know, seventy minutes long or whatever, right? Like it's like a very abridged. Yeah, yeah. It's an hour ten, I think. Yeah. But it's also uh, it's it's just like very kind of. Uh, uh, stagey and overwrought, uh, sure. but uh, and it, brown face aplenty, I'm sure, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that stuff can be a little uh, tough to, yeah, just wave away with the old. Well, well it was the past, you yeah. know. It's still hard to watch. It's sometimes. also like yeah. one of the world's worst uh, transfers I've ever seen. There's like what a were lot you of, watching it on uh, Amazon, a company that's done a lot of wrong things, <laughs> uh, but they uh, <laughs> company with many many mistakes. Um, but they, uh, they, you know, Amazon can be a bit of a repository for just like public domain, like sort of like sloppy work. And so it like looks like a digitized VHS and uh-huh. the intertitles are done in like comic sans. <laughs> like they're literally just like typed on a black screen. Um, but it's not, it's not great, but this is, uh, we were saying the, he wrote five of these books over the course of, uh, several decades. And this was kind of like uh, his Tarzan. This was like his like money character. Hawkeye. Yeah, right. This was his like it. big uh, franchise. And much like Tarzan, it falls into that category of like, what if there was like a white guy who kind of represented all the qualities of the indigenous people, but was, you know, white for us? Yeah. I was thinking about that with this character and you've read the novel, right? Mm-hmm. You've read, um, have read you read the a first couple one. of these? I read it in, no, I read, I read The Last of the Mohicans in okay. college. Wow. In an early American literature class where we were reading like Hawthorne, Melville. I'm, yeah. I can't name your 19th century American uh, authors. And my professor. Max. Yeah, right. Totally. He's part of the Hudson sort of school too, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, Like like kind of functioning with also the like the artists, the painters. I think so. Too hot, man. So hot. Too hot. Um, I know stuff. Cooperstown, as I was remarking to you guys, uh, is named after his dad. Cooperstown, New York. I almost knocked over the lemonade again. It's going over there now. Um, But my 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 professor was obsessed with him. And was really trying to sell us on the book when I remember in the lectures where he's like, don't you see, you know, that thing where your professor knows that the whole class is kind of like, eh, yeah, I've been so. that teacher. I've you been know? that teacher. And yeah. he's like putting, you know, he's like writing quotes out for us. He's like, come on, like, this is so evocative or whatever. And I just remember it being a, a major slog to read. It's like truly, uh, it's not terrible or anything, but it's very, very flowery and old fashioned. They weren't dinosaur novels, but I feel like their legacy is kind of like those were like adventure books for people. But they were yeah, enormously sure. popular, incredibly right. popular, right, right, right. And right. like at a time when American literature was still this like very early exciting thing. Yeah. But Mark Twain liked to rag on them. Did you read like that too? Yeah. He yeah. like spent his whole <laughs> life Randolph being Scott. like, you know, yeah, I like books except for Last of the Mohicans. It's so funny because actually when wow. I was thinking about the very thing Griffin just mentioned about the kind of racial disguise yeah. that Daniel Day-Lewis is in, right? The yeah. white guy raised by Mohicans. Right. I thought of um, of Huckleberry Finn. Right. You know, 100%. I mean, just this yeah. idea of sort of you're almost like Trojan horsing in a person of color, but you can't actually make them the protagonist. Yes. He, that was not Mark Twain's complaint. He wrote yeah. a famous essay called Fenimore Cooper's Literary Offenses. Oh, Basically damn. like a, wow. a beef track, you know, yeah. like, where he was saying like, <laughs> wait, I want to find uh, in one place in Deerslayer. In the restricted space of two thirds of a page, Cooper has scored 114 offenses against literary art out of a possible 115. 
It I'm, breaks the record. Let, I mean, let's say Mark Twain was not afraid to uh, drag people on the timeline. <laughs> yeah, he was right. Exactly. He would. There's the last samurai. There's the film, the last samurai, right? Um, years yeah. after this. That's one. the other weird thing is the like, this the, is a film about X. the last person representing this group. It's a white person who no, comes in. In this and does movie, it that's not true. I know it's right. not true, but it is still a little what bit. What's been? What did he find? His phone, I think. Too hot. <sighs> enough, enough, enough. Uh, all right. Um, but the, right. And so I was worried what in The Last Samurai, Tom yeah. Cruise is kind of the last samurai. And I was I remember the first time I, I, I saw this movie, I was worried, like, is this is he is like Daniel Day Lewis the last of the Mohicans? But well, I mean the title. They're very clear, like, no, he's not. No, he's I mean, no, Russell Means, who we will yeah, get to. Yeah. It Russell was Means is always like, where's my white son? <laughs> He's always, he always makes sure to qualify it. Yeah. yeah. If I remember right, Chingachgook is not his father in the book, right? It's like his adoptive brother. Uh, yeah, let me, let me, and Uncas is sort of a different character uh, from what I remember. Um, uh, Chingachgook is his brother. For some reason, the, the relationship is qualified differently. Because they got Russell Means, who's old enough to be Daniel Day-Lewis's father. Yeah, right? and I yeah. feel like audiences really, or at least they thought audiences really were drawn to the sort of like wise uh, elder type character, right? Like, you know, they, they, like that sort of like gravitas of the the, the, the chief. Or it's the, a couple of years after Dances with Wolves. Right. So it was occurring to me, although I would need more evidence to substantiate this, sure. that there was some something of a Native American craze going on in there, pop culture. There yeah, was. That's, that's a good point. That's probably one reason that studios are like, yeah, go for it. And, like, and this was Mohicans. also kind of the first time period where they actually were casting Native Americans to play Native 100%, American roles. 100%, right. Like, post-Dancing with the Wolves. I mean, people give Dances, Dances with, with wolves. wolves credit for that, where they're like, this is the first time they didn't just, like, put Anthony Quinn in, like, yeah, Grease or paint. maybe cast like a Mexican actor or right, like a, a Spanish actor. Right, right. right. I mean, that's like famously the uh, the proud Native American with the single tear at the sure, uh, sure. the recycling ad. Right, was Italian. Like it was always just like. Wasn't that, is that Chief Dan George? Am I wrong? Yeah, I there was a guy right. named yeah, Chief believe, Dan George who was right. sort of your go-to right. Indian and it turned out he was like a Jewish guy from Brooklyn. Right, and Sasha Littlefeather <laughs> was the same thing, right? Wasn't she? Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. all your representatives were always just like, here's someone who's Wait, quote unquote. Sasheen was not. Am I wrong about this? Am I slandering Sasheen Littlefeather? Uh, let me find out. I got her, her mom was of French, German, and Dutch descent. Um, her father... It's one of those, you know, this thing. And her father was Native American. Okay. Uh, he was an Apache. It, like, but, like, she she barely knew him. But this is obviously with Native American uh, heritage in general, it's like it can be very touchy to talk about, like, uh, your blood relation to people yes. versus your tribe membership and right. all that stuff. And it yeah, gets it's something that I feel like as, as yes. two pale males and one pale female, we <laughs> yeah, don't have a yes. lot to right. weigh in on there. Yeah, but and I, a late scumbum behind the points. But I would say that, yeah, there's this tension about that in this yes. movie and, and in Dances with Wolves as well, where it's yes. like, yes, finally they are casting Native Americans as Native Americans right. at the same time. There is, you know, there's a real they're um, in supporting noble roles. Savage, there's sort of a yes. noble savage and they're thing often going on. Playing these archetypes, right? Right, totally. But, but these, and also, right. like those actors are going to play your Native American guy for thirty years right, into like the West future. Like, like Graham Greene will still. Right. You're like, oh, there he is, right? You know, Dances right. with Wolves. He's right. still. Well, West you know, Duty was in Dances with Wolves. Wasn't he was. Yes, I mean, he has yeah. a, a small role. Dances West Duty being the guy who played Magua. But Dances with Wolves kind of launches both of them. And West Duty has this great career, but then it's like I think of West Duty as the only Native American actor who like uh, led really a movie. Yes, you know, like Geronimo. That like he's like on the poster, right? 
uh, even Hostiles, he was on the poster. Above like, the he's title. He's above the title. Right. He, you know, he's one of the few where he's not playing the you know, supporting role that's all wise or all yes. tough or all... Like, I, I went down a 90s Western rabbit hole last night because I was trying to trace the timeline of this sort of boom. Right, because with Dance of the Wolves, it wasn't like, oh, you're making a Native American. It was like, you're making a Western? Those things are... No one makes Westerns. When they were making it, people called it Kevin's Gate. And they were like, this is the greatest, most disastrous vanity project in a decade. It's going to bomb so hard. Uh, This guy's overreaching. Go back to the baseball field, Costner. And then it's like (laughs) this massive success and it wins all the Oscars. And then you have like uh, Unforgiven wins again a couple years later. That's right. That's this year, I believe. It's very weird to have like two Westerns win Best Picture in such quick succession in a time period where the Westerns had seemed dead for a while. And then there is this 90s boom, and Dances with Wolves gets credit for being the first time that it was like, we're going to cast Native Americans, and we're going to be culturally respectful, and we're going to try to like do this right, even if the movie's about the white guy who's the best at everything. Right. Like, that That was like a shift. And there was in that sort of boom, all the sort of lesser films that come out of it, Walter Hill's Geronimo... I was on that Wikipedia page and they were saying that the studio was fighting him so hard to be like, you got a green light if you like cast Kiefer Sutherland and like paint him brown. And Walter Hill was like, we can't do that. What do right. Look crazy. at the fucking calendar. We can't do that. And it was like such a battle to get West Duty to play the title role in the film. And then the movie bombed. But it is that kind of crazy thing where it's like he's in the new world. And in New World, he isn't like any super significant part. You know, he's in a lot oh, of in the, the New movie, World, sure, sure, sure. But he's not like you know Pocahontas's father. Right. He's not the chief. You know, he's one of these guys where like he does tons of work. But anytime there's any Native American film, they have to bring him in because it's sort of like I think he does a lot of like uh, like consultant work. I think he like coaches a lot of the other actors too. Uh, I mean, he's a fascinating guy. He's got one of the great faces in the history of movies. He's got an incredible face, especially in this. And his voice is incredible. Yeah. Dana, do you want to weigh in on this? I mean, I was just going to move to Russell Means for a yes. second. Okay, you want to talk Means. And right, say, I was means. just fascinated to see that this was Russell Means' first movie. Right. I yeah. mean, I just sort of feel like throughout the 90s, Russell Means was just the face of Native America in movies. And he had never acted before, and he has a huge role. He was known as an Indian activist, as a, you know, really, a, he was part of the American Indian movement, right? Yeah, AIM. 100%. And, and actually was quite controversial within that movement and yeah. led this splinter group where then AIM later was issuing press releases at some point saying, don't listen to anything Russell Means says. <laughs> because Russell Means had some statement that he made. I don't know if it was at a press conference or what, but when he did this split off of, of the AIM movement, he wanted to eradicate all treaties ever made between any Native American tribe in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like from here on, those are all void. And then the rest right. of the AIM people were saying, wait, wait, wait a second. We need, that, that, we need that, that somewhere might, to negotiate. Yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Anyway, so he's he's known for being this kind of controversial and occasionally violent. He spent time in jail well, kind they, of figure. They, I mean, they, and then suddenly they take over he, Alcatraz at one point? Like they would do all these sort of occupations. There, yeah, there's a regular right, occupation. Right. Of, I think it still happens on Thanksgiving um, Day that, right. that tribes take over Alcatraz. But They seize the Mayflower, a replica of the Mayflower. I'm, I'm just sort of looking at his. I just, uh, right, to me, yeah. that's an incredible career arc, right? I mean, he's. Yeah. I don't know quite yeah. how old he is when he's. Now? Well, no, no, when he, he, was, died, right, he right. died in 2012, I think. Yes, but when he yeah. starred in this movie, he had to be in his 40s, right? Yeah, like, uh, well, if he was born in 39, he would have been, like, uh, over 50. Oh, yeah, yeah he's like my dad's 51. age, right. Yeah. But that's, like, the Michael Mann thing is, like, Dennis Farina was just an ex-cop who he, like, hired as a consultant, you know? And then had on set doing, like, a small role. And then he becomes, like, his muse. 
like Michael Mann so loves the people who have just like lived in this fucking world, you know? And he like loves if he can find someone who's like, oh, you're like an actual ex-con. Right. Like you're a thief, you're a cop, you know? If you listen to his director's commentaries, which are delightful, it's always like him being like, yeah, that guy's a cop. Uh, I met him doing this. And now, mm-hmm. you know, like every every like little actor, he's like, yeah, this guy did security for this gang. Right. So I hired him, you know, in this like great Chicago accent. I just imagine that Michael Mann's like, I don't care if Russell Means has never acted before. I don't care if he's controversial. The guy like walks the walk. Like he spends all his time thinking about this stuff. Yeah, yeah, and that really does come out. I have to right. say, in the totally. performance, like the, the, the parts authority. are very underwritten. Right, yes. he really yeah. doesn't his get much to do, yeah. but he, he brings a, a huge amount of of I don't know what you'd call it, just hard won wisdom to yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very similitude. One of yeah. my favorite words. I don't know. Which, like which that. I mean, is like the key Michael Mann buzzword. And what's weird about this movie because it is his most kind of conventional film. It's a pretty straightforward adventure film, you know, with his flourishes. Yeah, but but the verisimilitude is the big Michael Mann thing. And at the time of its release, they were like, "All the weapons are accurate." Sure, you right, know, right, like right. we studied everything. We made sure. I mean, just like years of research, which combined with uh, Daniel Day Lewis, this just must have been the most fucking intense set in history. Daniel Day Lewis learned how to make a canoe. <laughs> he like right. you know carried a long rifle all the time i mean you always wonder about these uh method acting anecdotes like come on what he what, he brought the long rifle to the, like the cater table like yeah. but like uh obviously daniel day lewis kind of invented a lot of that so yeah you, you know, I but i think this is just a movie where those two guys were in a competition for who could Find more hard one details. Are you looking Wait, at just, the trivia I, page? I, I just, I just I have to read you this sentence page. from a. I have to read you this sentence from a, a Newsweek okay. review of the okay. time, contemporary with the movie. <laughs> Man and Day Lewis searched for Hawkeye's character by spending a month in the forests of North Carolina, learning the skills and tools needed to survive in the 18th century wilderness. Just imagine that month. Was it just the two of them? <laughs> Was it just like the two of them camping out with muskets? It <laughs> just you, sounds so so can intense. You, can you just imagine like Michael Mann and Daniel Day Lewis like lying on rocks? In the middle of the night. My dad was a grocer. <laughs> and Daniel Day Lewis is like, my father was poet laureate of Britain. Yes, which yes. he was. Right. I just see them like cl- cleaning their long yeah. rifles yeah. As, the, as the craft table is being set up, you <laughs> right. know, somewhere in the distance. This is something I want to read. This is from the trivia page on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, many long, long nights were filmed doing the siege scenes, the big siege of yeah. the fort. Um, loudspeakers were installed all around the battlefield so that man could give directions to the whole crew. Right. And one long, one night after like a long night, Michael Mann started yelling, what's that orange light? Turn it off. Turn it off. And the second AD was like, uh, it's the sun. <laughs> the sun's rising. Wow. <laughs> and Michael Mann was so like distracted. God and damn the sun. He was like, what is this thing? <laughs> I will say this is the movie where I totally like you see why Michael Mann became so obsessed with digital. Because right. he's trying to make a movie that takes place so largely at night. A, lo- a lot of night stuff, especially in the first half. A lot of night half. battles, and it's so difficult to light this thing. Right. And he comes up with some clever solutions, but you just imagine he's like, I will gladly sacrifice a quote-unquote prettiness in order yes. to be able to make this just kind of look real. Right. But you don't think this movie looks pretty? Oh, I think it looks gorgeous. very pretty. Yeah. But those, I think it uh, looks the, very the, pretty. The, the scenes at night, it is the classic, like, right. you kind of need total darkness to, to see everything right, right? Like, you know, uh, the, uh, right. the their faces as they're talking to each other no, can be a little What obscured. I find fascinating is this is such a pretty sort of painterly movie that you could see him becoming a guy who's all about that level of visual control. 
And instead, the second digital video arrives, he's like, cool, I'll throw that away. I'm like right. happy to make the movie look like shit if I can get everything in focus and, and be able to film with low light levels, mm-hmm. you know? Well, it's a little bit, I mean, it's, it's Hawkeye-like to use DV, right? right. It's, like, it's like he's moving stealthily through the forest using the tools that it's he It's like very yeah. practical because he's one of those guys, like, uh, David Lynch does the same thing where they're both like, like, I love digital cameras. It's so fucking ugly. <laughs> You know? Right, right, they right. They both go right. like, I just love that it's like, it's fucking ugly and it looks bad and you can take it anywhere and it doesn't take time and you can shoot anything. Right. You know, they're just like, get it done. Get it done. Like, I'm more concerned about what's in the frame and I want to get that right. And then I want to have the flexibility to film that however I want and improvise on that level. You know, I mean, what you're saying about like the sun, like he just must have been so frustrated waiting for the lighting setups of like, how do you make it look? bright enough to be able to capture the image on film in a nighttime battle scene without cheating, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like how, how do you get enough fire in the background? Not to mention the cave, right? The, right. the climax, the emotional climax of the movie takes place in a cave. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my, my one semester of film school, I had a class where they showed us this, uh, like, early 2000s uh, Spanish Don Quixote movie. Okay. And there's a scene where uh, uh, Don Quixote and Sancho Panza are like talking in the field, and he's just like monologuing on one of his uh, one of his crazy Quixote monologues. And uh, as they're talking for like ten minutes, the sun just goes down, and by the end of the monologue, I think it's like an unbroken two shot. By the end of the monologue, it's just pitch black, like you, you can barely see. In this time period. When the sun went out, everything was just dark. Right, it's just completely dark. You just couldn't see. Well, like at night, it was just like, well, that's the end of being awake. That's how people live, right? It was right. like, I guess I go to sleep now. Right. I think yeah. about this all the time when I think about writer, very prolific writers from yeah. the past, pre-electricity, yeah. you know, Shakespeare, Manuel Kant or something right, like that. Right. Yeah, just like sitting there scratching it out by candlelight, like the dedication. Right. I feel like when we depict that act in like art, you know, or like, you know, movies or TV or whatever. Uh, it's like this romantic, like it's a close, like, you know, it's a tight shot of them hunched over with the the lamp and the, you know, the candle and just scribbling. And the thing you don't think about is just like everything around them is just pitch black. Like the light is only in such a small contained space. Right, and then once right. The experience writing, wouldn't have been like, ah, oh, the liquid lamplight pouring over me. It would have been, <laughs> right, shit, I can't right. see a goddamn thing. Right. And I need to finish Hamlet. Right. And you, right. And when you like have to go to the bathroom, you're like, oh, get this fucking candle. You know, <laughs> and then you have to like, a, yeah. go through the hallway. And I like, really think about that. Creaking floors. And your wife's like, please just come to bed. And you're like, I'm writing Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Anne Hathaway, his wife. His wife, Anne Hathaway. No, no, although Cat I don't woman. think they interacted a lot. Yes. Tom Hardy and Anne Hathaway have both made historical appearances yes, in, they this have in this yes. podcast. Yeah. Um, of course, Natty Bumpo, as you say, is actually the name of the, the character. Um, Natty Bumpo was the name of the hero of all the leather shocking tales, um, but it's changed for the movie yes. to the much more Nathaniel Poe. 90s friendly romantic <laughs> name, Nathaniel Poe, which yes. I think is, is a loss. I mean, who doesn't love yeah. the name Natty Bumpo? Natty Just Bumpo like, What's great. up? I'm Natty Bumpo. Uh, with his Poe, long flowing locks. Isn't that the same name of uh, Nick Cage and Conair? It might, yeah, you know, he's something Poe. Uh, is it, is and it they have Nathaniel? a similar hairstyle, the They two do of have them. a similar hairstyle. That's what's weird about this movie. Is like Cameron Poe Cameron is, Poe. His, uh, is his name in Conair. I just feel like the whole way Daniel Day-Lewis is framed in this movie is like you can tell how much like intensity he's putting into it and how much research he put into it. But it's also like this is his one kind of beefcake performance. Yeah, where you he's know? like shirtless and running 
And like you say, like Mel Gibson could have done this or Kevin Costner. Right, and the fact that the film is kind of painterly means that like he kind of always looks like Legends of the Folly, you know? Right. He's like lit beautifully and his hair is just like draping It's like the cover, he and Madeline Stowe both could be on the cover of a Bodice Ripper paperback, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. Madeline Stowe, yeah, is a a very good fit. Right, uh, and and his role role. is mostly action. Like it's not even just like, oh, it's largely a physical performance. His role is largely him running. That's why I was thinking. I mean, to the to the extent that that he his character development, that all the yeah. work he did, you know, imagining yeah. with camping out with Michael Mann in North sure. Carolina, et cetera. The place you see it is in his run. It's like yes. his right. run is so expressive, and his like his neck is like jutting out, like he's sort of hunched over. You know, like he just looks like he's a weapon. You know, sure. He's always been a good uh, actor physically in terms of like not being afraid of how he might look on screen as well. Like there's he's a, very good yeah, at like just screening and, and like right. you know making funny faces and well, all that. That's that's the, yeah. With his looks, he's got some wiggle room there. Yeah, he's got right. a lot of wiggle room. But that's this thing he said where he like he said that like early in his career he really resented his face. Sure, because he was like I had this like nose that and like this profile that was well suited for like these very kind of austere like dramas of manners, and that he like wanted to break out of that. But he's got such a great face. The He's best. like got an incredible face. The best, but he like but, I think he viewed it as an impediment that he looked so much like a classical leading man. Or, you know, what he likes is like playing fucking like nightmare people. Yeah, he likes playing these very cartoonish creatures sometimes. Right. Like like uh, Bill the Butcher is a very cartoonish creature. Uh, even um what do you yeah. call it? Uh, Daniel Plainview, right? Like Right. Um Well, that's hmm. this other thing about him is like you've talked about how he's one of your favorite actors and how that's like Kind of a lame what answer. A, what a hot take, right? right? Like that I like Daniel Day-Lewis. But the thing that I think people don't talk about enough with him is that he's really fucking funny. Oh, Dan is so funny. Ben is close friends with... Ben has this bit where he's friends with Daniel Day-Lewis. <laughs> he calls him Dan Lewis. I mean, such I just terms. know him as Dan. What do you think of Daniel Day-Lewis? <laughs> and he's very funny. Like, he seems he seems so serious. Especially but, when you're stitching shoes together. He's really cracking oh, some good ones. Well, don't talk, don't talk leather to, to that boy. He yeah. goes on like and on. Josh and Cobble all day yeah. long with yeah. Dan. Josh but I can't believe Cobble. Ben is redeeming himself. But <laughs> I can't believe Ben is winning Dana over. <laughs> but here's the thing. You get a, you get him uh, a couple beers in, and he is just cracking jokes. Yeah. It's, it's really a delight. I wish more people knew that about Dan. <laughs> He's so proud of himself. Right. He leaned That's enough out of from behind the computer. Yep, I stopped. Yeah, I stopped. Biggest shitty Dan- Dana, do you have a hot Daniel Day-Lewis take or do you just like- I mean, all I can say is that every time I see him now, I'm just so sad that he, if he's really done. He's me not. too. And he seems like the kind of guy who might be really done. I mean, yes. he's famous for his sort of lack of vanity as an actor, right? As you were saying, he doesn't right. even yeah. like being like the handsome godlike profile that he right. has. I can easily see him being somebody who just says, no, I'm private life. I'm cobbling with, you know, my my director wife and it's all good and also you see ben's influence in that like once he announces his retirement now he gets like totally tatted up and like shaved his head and wears black leather now <laughs> have you seen what he looks he like really? now are you serious oh i am so serious i'm gonna get this picture we're for you, actually Dana. getting matching tattoos <laughs> i mean see this is where the line between the bit and reality is getting blurred but somehow daniel day lewis does now look like ben is friends with him <laughs> Ben's actually late because of him, but he's just being modest about it. Yeah, he looks like someone who works at like a bike store now. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like where he's like, yeah, yeah, let me grab that and sort of like lifts it up. And oh he's my god, got, can you, you imagine know. if he'd played a bike messenger? He should. Oh, oh, my god, premium rush. What if he had done premium rush? Oh, yes, 
But that's the thing. Like, it feels like he's, like, pointedly trying to sort of, like, burn down the house now, you know? And just be like, I'm, like, fully putting to rest the classical Daniel Day-Lewis sort of austere image. Um, right. God, I thought I got it. While you're searching, can yeah. I tell my favorite story? About please, him? please. You guys know that in while performing Hamlet on stage, he once broke down and couldn't go on, and the show had to end right. because essentially because he started kind of mourning his own father and freaking out on stage yeah. when he talked to the ghost. He would see the ghost and like start sobbing. Right. I've I've read that story. Yeah. The story of it is incredible, and that was very early in his career. I mean, he may not have even done a movie yet. He was basically a stage actor. This, this yeah. was, I think, he had started doing films, and is it was his return to stage, and he in the middle of the performance said, "I'm." Sorry, I can't do this, and then never has done stage. He since. hasn't done stage since, which is crazy because I assume he's probably a fairly arresting presence on stage. I, I would just hazard to guess. Wow, imagine but being one of the people who got who to like see saw him. him like do Hamlet or whatever. Whoa, okay, so I'm looking at a picture of the right. new DDL. He looks like Shaved a Brooklyn head. hipster now. Yeah, yeah. Totally. sleeve sleeve tattoos. Yeah. Oh, he um, looks good, though. Oh, man. He looks so... I mean, he looks Let me see, can I see? so hot. I saw him at the Angelica. Oh, you did? I did, and it was one of those things where the first thing was just like, wow, that's a very handsome man. And then I realized that that is Daniel Day-Lewis. But he was head-to-toe in black. He was what wearing, movie like, was he seeing? Oh, fuck. I was trying to figure it out at the time. I, I, I need to search my tweet history to see. But he was in I, the lobby. He was, in, he was walking past the ticket taker. I was in the lobby enjoying a cafe. And he was oh. all black, tight black jeans, black T-shirt, black leather jacket, black beanie. I think he was with uh, uh, Rebecca, Rebecca Miller, and and full uh, uh, tatted sleeves. He looked. He looked. What like was a he seeing? Do you think? Okay, that's what I'm gonna figure. Amazing out. Grace. How recently was this? This was like a year ago. Oh, okay, okay. This was like right yeah. after Phantom Thread, when it was like such a big thing. He was probably like, seeing the Emoji Movie. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, Wondering he is, if he should have turned down that role. He is an emoji, role. you know, or he could do he can do them all. He can do he any can emoji. He can do them all. The scarcity effect we're talking about, like yes. he won't do theater anymore. That's now right. he's not doing movies anymore. Right. You know, that he only it's, has it's, one podcast that he hosts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, go on. Sorry, I'm sorry. No, it well, just and makes a Game him... of Thrones talk back, which means it's about to end. Right, right, right. Uh, okay, we'll uh, do I, the spinoff. Just saw Daniel Day Lewis <laughs> walking the angelic dress entirely in black denim. It was denim. It wasn't leather. This is April 7th, 2008. I'm going to go to the box office. Sorry to interrupt. I'm going to figure this out. All right. Uh, no, I was just going to say ahead, that yes. making himself a scarce commodity like that mm-hmm. just makes, even retroactively, right? Seeing a 1992 movie he was in makes his presence so precious. Like, yes, there he is. 100%. One of the moments that he was recorded on film. And so that overlays this movie, which in many ways I think is dated and doesn't stand up super well. I kind of agree with you. <laughs> but, yeah. but seeing him in it, absolutely magical. And the action scenes, everything that has to do with action, whether it's jumping off a waterfall, burning down a fort, all that stuff's incredible. Yeah, yeah that's well, And it's also just kind of amazing as one of those, like, what if? Like, what if he had just, like, pursued this? You know, what if he had become, like, uh, like an action epic guy? Or it's a thing he could have done. For a guy who's that intense and is that into preparation, he could have just funneled all that energy into, like, the time period and the physical demands of the role and just become a guy who did like these massive, yeah. you know, he could yeah. have been a studio guy. He generally just also, this is his first ever studio movie. Crazy. And he generally didn't make a lot of studio movies just period. Yeah. You know, like I think something like the age of innocence, that's a studio movie, but like the, you know, the Irish movies he would make with Jim Sheridan, like in the name of the father or the boxer, mm-hmm. right. Those are more European. And even like gangs in New York. I mean, isn't, wasn't that, that was a, a full Miramax movie, was, right? Uh, yeah. I think someone else had a piece of it. Maybe. Um, you know, he was 
he's yeah he's as close as you come to like a actor as auteur even though he mostly worked with big auteur directors because his entire filmography is like you know this long right like it's like 20 movies i had um, just seen you were never really here yeah well, i can see I him hypothesize that that's that what he was going into right. there you go but also playing around that time would have been like a fantastic woman sure lean on pete he looked like he was dressed to see you were never really here. <laughs> he had his Joaquin pants on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Hobo assassin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So Last of the Mohicans, like we said, yeah. His first studio movie, Michael Mann's first film in six years. Yeah. Um, he is more adapting the 1936 film. That's he the said, weird thing is it's like this is the, like um, uh, him Randolph making Scott a movie. movie because of how much he liked this other movie when he was a kid. Right. Like, this movie in its weird way is kind of like Peter Jackson's King Kong, where it's like, here's this movie that had this big impression on me when I was a child, and now I'm going to make the movie that's in my mind, like how I viewed it when I was little. And that movie, I think, is the one that makes the change to have Hawkeye be this more, like, straightforward romantic lead type. Um, and that's that movie's credited. There's you no know, romance in, the sc- in the book, no? I don't know, no. Yeah. I, in the book, also... Um, which in, is in the an, book, another has thing he they, already joined Shield at this point, or is it all set before? Uh, in the book, Cora Monroe is like supposed to be have some kind of African descent. Like there's the oh, she's she's the uh, sort of the classic like you know quote unquote dark lady, uh, right. which uh, and, Madeline uh, Stowe is uh, quite the opposite. Right? They they uh, question about Madeline Stowe's character that. and in general about sure. the, the accent choices mm. in What's going this on? Movie. I don't know. Okay, we can we can talk about the uh, the American accent choices in a second, but Madeline yeah. Stowe's character, Cora, yeah. is supposed to be British, right? I guess. Uh, I think she's supposed to be uh, in the novel she's from like the, you know, the Caribbean, but like she's a, a an aristocrat. She's a, you know, a, a fancy British lady. Right. Uh who grew up on some plantation or estate or god knows what, right? You know, like that's the idea. But she um, and her sister are supposed to have been brought over from England yes. by their dad. She does talk at some point about living in Boston, so maybe that's what messed up the accent. Yeah, but I sure. gotta say, Madeline Stowe's voice is very in and out with the British sounds. It is. I I, I really like Madeline Stowe. Um, she's a weird career. Yeah, I was a little bit underwhelmed by her watching this. I remember just always thinking she was just such a great beauty, incredible classic beauty, like off of a cameo. And she's got a lot of presence. I I don't think vocally she's like particularly impressive. I don't. She also just doesn't have a ton to do, right? Like, I mean, Jodie May has nothing to do except sort of just look. She barely has a line. Yeah. Um, and have that incredible moment at the end of the movie. But right. like, can I just point out that that exact same thing happens in Birth of a Nation? <laughs> really? Well, I mean, the, the, a, the, a young the, woman, a young white woman who is about to be abducted uh, by a black man in that case, not right. a Native American, right. chooses to jump off a cliff instead. Can I say something? Go ahead. I feel like a Birth of a Nation might be problematic. I you feel don't like think that movie holds it, up? I don't know. I've been a little think, dated because obviously I loved it as a kid. Right? <laughs> I have so much nostalgia for Birth of a Nation. It's just one of those movies. Oh, I mean, only real 90s kids understand. All right. All right. Pack it in. Um, <laughs> D.W. Griffith is canceled. Um, fully canceled. Fully canceled. Um, yes, I agree with you that she is more striking in this movie to look at than she is giving a textured, but, dimensional But it's also true yeah. she's not given a ton to do. She's not no. given a ton to do. And as she has to fall in love in- with Hawkeye like... That. Immediately. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, the falling in love, you only believe it really because of Daniel Day-Lewis. And the music. Ultimately, right? I would argue. The music as well. All right. But do you find the music to be smiting the viewer 
over the head in a 90s style. That it's heavy handed. It's a little oppressive. Also, it's a great theme. I mean, it's a it's wonderful, hummable theme. It's, very, it's a very, uh, but he it's does sort not earwormy. skimp on laying it on. No. no. I was Googling and I can't believe I couldn't find anyone else uh, uh, putting this together, but this theme is totally plagiarized. Uh, oh, yeah. It was, a, Scot- it was a Scottish folk song, right? Well, no, they it's took it from was... the opening of the Doughboys Live episodes. I, 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 okay. Um, some I mean, people are gonna like that right, joke right, it's not right, for everybody no. it's for some people Dana uh, the show's like this a lot we, <laughs> we have to stop being silly yeah. <laughs> producer comes in 45 minutes later. yeah right like you're gonna tomato. you're gonna talk rebranding mm. um on time uh, growth I, 2019. I, I agree I was with you. 15 minutes the, late. Is the theme after, because the song wasn't, nom- the theme wasn't nominated for an Oscar, the score wasn't nominated for an Oscar, which seems bizarre. And, and maybe it was thing? because it was not uh, original enough. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Because right, yeah, yeah, yeah. the main theme is taken from uh, another song. Okay. Which uh, is which is by some Gaelic songwriter. Uh, sure. I right. Believe. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. That's Contemporary why. 90s right, right. Gaelic songwriter. Right. And so then, it was like ineligible. And it also was two different composers. Uh, Trevor Jones and who's the other one? Uh, Randy Edelman. But I think Trevor Jones died. Ooh, sure. I one of them died and the other one took over. Like it, it was sort of like noted at the time as being this weird mishmash score. Okay. Because it's like main theme. It's a beautiful from, theme. It's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Uh, Pumps so, me up. Cinematography is the only nomination this got. Uh, Oscar wise, could that be true? No, it won an Oscar. It won for best sound, and that's it. Really? No cinematography. Wow, that's, that's weird. Very weird. This is a very good looking movie. You'd think, you know, the sets and all that and the costume. But costuming. this was kind of like, what, did this come out in the spring? Uh, this film came out in September. Okay. Late September. So, I don't know. Prime yeah. Oscar-y time. I don't yes. know. Uh, I, I have no, I mean, Michael Mann movies are usually ignored at the Oscars. Like, that's all I got for you. Yeah, this one is just so sort of like uh, uh, prestige it's but I guess it also was like, I don't know, it's like an action movie or something. Yeah, maybe. But, yeah, but right. for it to come in between like Braveheart and uh, Dances with Wolves and all these other sort of like similar. These big rip snorting period epics that the Oscars would totally fall with for. Your, what did your win great best picture that year? Uh, Unforgiven. This is the Unforgiven year. Right? Um, it's the Unforgiven year. It's also like uh, Malcolm X is, is one mm-hmm. of the big movies in 92 at the Oscars. What else we got? Al Pacino wins for Scent of a Woman that year. Uh, Howard's End is that year. Uh, uh, Emma Thompson wins. Uh, Marissa Tomei. Good Oscars, actually. This yeah. was kind of a fun Oscars. Um, a River Run Runs Through It won Best Cinematography, which is a movie that's like all cinematography. Right. Like, I could barely tell you what happens in that movie, right? But, like, it looks good. I can see what happens. Uh, a catch River Runs Through It. Yeah, right. And give me a thumbs up. <sighs> uh, did you see this in theaters, Dana? Or when do you remember first I, seeing this I must movie? have. I, the only thing I remembered, I had a, a jolting sense memory of him jumping off the waterfall. Sure. And, you know, the, of course, the speech that he makes to Madeline Stowe before jumping off the waterfall, Good which speech. is the most, probably the most quoted and I'll find excerpted in clips kind of line. Totally. Right. That's um, Stay alive, whatever occurs. Is that what he says? That sounds, yeah. Stay alive is definitely part of it. And that was all I remembered. But, yeah, I think I must have because, yeah, I mean, I was... What a teenager, young sure. adult, and you go to the movies and see this that year for sure. Right. It was, it's it's a very date movie kind of movie. I don't think I went on a date to it, but I imagine that it, a lot of people did. You stay alive no matter what occurs. He's got that that Yankee voice, that weird. Or he's got he's got his own accent. Going that, okay, on. let's go to those okay, accent okay. choices. Let's talk about the accent. <laughs> I just wonder. 
At what point in their conversations about how this bizarre, bizarrely mm-hmm. imagined person, right? Like yep. white son of traders brought up by Mohicans mm-hmm. who somehow is, you know, this like surpassingly incredible soldier warrior, right. but is but, allied with no one. Like, yeah. how is he going to talk? I mean, his talk, his, his language is this absolutely uninflected, just plain old it's California. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like what's, what is that choice? Right. I, I don't know. It's a great question. I, and it strikes me as something that Michael Mann would care about. Yeah. It seems like uh, it's how weirdly people talk. the voice it's closest to is kind of Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of like, I remember an old mill, right. you know, that's sort of like, weird. Yeah. I will come and find you. <laughs> yeah. You stay alive here. Yeah. Um, but I feel like his Lincoln was more stylized. Yes. His Lincoln's you know, definitely he more found stylized. A way, it wasn't. And also he's talking that Tony Kushner dialogue. That's like every word is kind of right. Wonderful. That movie's so language. Clothed right. in immense power. To... Clothed in immense power. Now, um, now, now. Whereas all the other Yankees and like the, the, the colonists, like not the Brits, but the, the guys who are like, Hey, now wait a second. They, yeah. they've, I feel like they are, making that effort to have that weird accent of the time or at least a cadence like a period cadence cadence. the movie version of it at the very right where it's like it's like the american accent has not quite emerged yet but it's it's being formed right the the sort of classic new englander kind of accent but Uh, his character daniel day lewis could actually just be saying like i want a slushy you know (laughs) (laughs) he's completely modern in his diction and articulation and that's obviously a choice i guess right and maybe it's just because he stands so separately from everyone else anyway that he should just have a completely different cadence to everybody else. Yeah. I don't know. I do think that's an interesting thing. I mean, I'm just thinking about what you said, Dana, about this being like a big high school date movie. I do feel like this used to be the thing of like, oh, you're like a teenager now? You're going on dates? You have to take them to like a serious movie. Right. It's like Far and Away, Legends right. of the Fall, all those early 90s movies with Marky Idols we know like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. But their hair's longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've got a freaking, you know, bolo tie or right. something's going on, right? And, and a rough movies, neck rough yeah. of yeah. some sort. And it's gonna be long and like it's the, gonna be about some period like, of history right, and it's like gonna make some plays. Yeah, totally. And they'd like play in malls and teenagers would be like, Well, I wanna look sophisticated. Yeah, right. Let's go. I gotta go like this is like fall, mainstream right. sophistication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was like enough action in it, enough like badass moments, enough romance. Especially like, in this one, yeah. Yeah. It is kind of a, a good mix of, yeah, yeah, of the the kind of chick movie love affair and uh, and the action scenes. And like swoony guys and pretty ladies and, yeah, warriors. And it's great. I love yeah. it. Guy's heart gets cut out. I do <laughs> love, like, the, the thing that uh, I, I was most taken uh, by in this movie is that the, the quote-unquote love scene is just Madeline Stowe breathing. Sure. Like, it's a pretty uninterrupted shot where you're seeing, like, his back and her over him. And it's just kind of, like, you know, implied foreplay or what have you. Or just caressing or canoodling or spooning or what have you. Sure. And it's just a very long take of her, like, breathing. The exact thing that these kinds of movies, and especially Michael Mann movies, don't seem to... uh uh, really focus on which are like uh, women enjoying themselves. But wait, one exception to that, and this is the yes. love scenes reminded me of these are the love scenes in Miami Vice, the movie. Oh, right? I, think, I yeah. mean, there's the things that just like, the only reason that we know that Gong Lee and Colin Farrell are into each other is because mm-hmm. they sit around breathing and sweating and looking beautiful. Yeah. They don't really say anything or no. develop any right. kind of relationship. No, no, no. that's not how no. Michael Mann. It's works. very it's carnal. They, they jump in it's a little, little whatever right. water. Go fast, go fast, right. 
go, go to Cuba. Boat. Right. Yep. Go to go to Cuba. But like that section of the movie, you're just like that long take. You're like, this could be from like planet Earth or something. Like this is totally. just like watching like animal mating habits. <laughs> and the fact that it's like you don't even see his face really. Sure. It's just her. Like I, I don't know. I but again, I, I think yeah. the special effect of DDL really helps there because yes. I feel like with a different actor, if Mel Gibson had done it or sure. Brad Pitt or somebody, yeah. I might be saying. You know, this relationship is really underwritten. I don't see what how mm-hmm. these two are getting together. But when you see that sort of like liquid masculinity yes. of yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis moving through the forest with his muskets, like, of course, you're going to fall right. in love with him. I mean, him. it's that Paul Tompkins joke about shooting There Will Be Blood where it's like it's like there's a tiger on the set. Like when yeah. he's like when he's on there, it's like the most intense experience. Right. It feels he feels like a wild animal or whatever, like, a you know, like when you look Paul at F. a majestic talk animal. about the set of he has a whole bit. Yeah. Uh, on one of his albums about he he's, opens talking about because Magnolia is he oh I not, gotta hear that it's very funny Magnolia he turned out he ended up not being in but he did Correct. the table read right yes with like you know everybody because he's like friends with Paul Thomas Anderson because right because Fiona Apple at the time and Amy Mann they were all performing at Largo yeah it was that whole early so 2000s all those con- Largo like Pat Oswalt and Magnolia Right, all those people were like in it, and then he brought him back for there, there will be blood. Be blood. He's, he's largely it. out of focus. It's right. the opening. Uh, they say I'm an oil man. You would agree, right? Uh, or if I say I was Daniel Day Lewis, like screams in his face as he's walking out. Essentially, Whoa. you you would you, if if you didn't know it was Paul Tuckins, yeah. you would you, if you pause it, you can kind of make. It I was out. flipping out yeah, in the theater yeah, to my yeah. brother. I was like, "That's payoff day!" <laughs> but and everyone's like, "Shut up! This is opening night of There Will Be Blood." Uh, <laughs> But but it yeah it's like that like opening monologue the first time he like talks the whole movie because that first twenty thirty minute section is silent right, right. just hacking away oh, so in the mind when they time jump to him and H W one second no no I have a real right, question fine, fine. please they is how long did he drag himself like he his leg gets hurt and he drags to go get the you know trade in the gold well that's like the beautiful thing about the movie right isn't it like people have said it's like he's like months go by between right. that right? right right that's like Quentin Tarantino's whole take on the movie is like the master stroke of the film is that you see him crawling with the broken leg and then it jumps ahead and somehow he's like survived right and that from that point on you're like I have no idea what that guy had to do to survive <laughs> but I understand what it turned him into and a yeah. similarly crazy jump happens of course when you do the jump forward in time right. and suddenly he's a tycoon living right. in yeah. a bowling alley house I yeah. love it um, but wait we were, we, what, were we, what were we talking oh, PFT about just oh, has, PFT just like, it's the most right, beautiful okay. line where he goes like you know so I worked like a couple of days on There Will Be Blood and I was nervous because uh, you know you would think that Donald Day Lewis is going to be really intense but what I was surprised to find out when I showed up on set was that he is actually the most intense person who has ever existed. That guy is so fucking intense. It's very funny. Um, and the, he calls him a live tiger. He's but, like, it's like there's an animal on this stage. That's the big difference. And, you know, uh, uh, Costner and or Gibson or any of these guys could have done this role well, but it would have been a lot more about the movie star image and those guys knowing their angles right. and their persona. You know, you think about the, like, Costner thing of, like, I'm not really going to do the Robin Hood accent. I'm Kevin Costner. Right. I'm going to do it when I feel like it. Whereas Daniel Day-Lewis is, like, so committed to the thing that you buy the romance a little more because he's so in the movie as opposed to those guys who, like, become the movie. And he is also, even when he's playing monsters, a kind of weirdly sensitive actor. There, there's something weirdly sensitive and vulnerable about Daniel Day-Lewis, I think, even when he's playing horrible people. Agree. Yeah. Totally. So I, He's a very like, vulnerable actor. He doesn't right. have a lot of vanity, like like Dana was saying, like, and that, that plays out. Because you know? the movie asks you to buy that they fall in love because they are the stars of the movie. 
like they essentially go like, well, of course, these are the two stars and they're very good looking. So they're in love, right? Like the how quickly he goes, like there's that scene where he's like, I'm staying here. And they're like, oh, you must be staying here for something. Wearing a, a polka dotted dress or whatever, you know, they make their like joke. Right. And in any other movie, you'd expect them to be like, that's not why I'm staying here. It's nobility, Shut it's up. commitment to the cause. Shut the fuck up. Right. And instead, he's like, uh, yeah, that's that's why I'm staying here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's all like, I'm luxurious. Right. Is it? Right. And so then I was like, okay, so now there's going to be like 40 minutes of him protecting her, not knowing how to tell her how he feels. Right. And so the next thing he, he just, just walks marches into a over hut, to her. Right. And they're like, we're doing this, right? <laughs> And they just kind of look at each other and then just breathe for two minutes. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the end of the first act. There's right. two acts to this movie, basically, right? Like, the first part is, like, all politics and all, like, me opening my computer and being like, what was the French and Indian War again? And, like, what's going on here? Like, who are all these people? I, I and will Michael say, Mann being yeah. like, you're, you're either going to figure it out or you won't. I don't care. The, the way that people talk about, like, uh, people who don't like, like, sci-fi films. Right. And they're like, I, I just don't know what they're talking about. I can't engage with any of this stuff. I never have that problem with sci-fi films because I'm like, I know none of this is real and none of it matters. Sure. So there's nothing I'm supposed to be knowing. And then this is one of those Wikipedia movies where I'm like, what am I supposed to know at this point? <laughs> right. Like, how much is this like, he'll give me that information later? And how much of this is like, I'm supposed to have read the book before I sat down, you know? But very early on, I would say, like around the time that you realize that Wes Duty's character is a double agent, yes. right? right? Is You just kind of don't care anymore you, because you're right. just writing the kind of currents of suspense and That's feeling. That's what I do. I just sort of, even I, who am like more of a history nerd than you, I think, yeah. Griffin, like oh, I sort definitely. Of give myself over to I'm like, look, there's English and there's French. Yeah. And I guess there's American. There's a million different uh, native tribes that are sort of being played off each other by the you yeah. know, colonial powers and uh, whatever. And it it's, helps keep it. it we'll figure it out. When you say it that way, you know, that, that helps keep this from being a really retro kind of cowboys and Indians movie right. in that there's no, all no these conflicting forces, movie. right? Totally. It's, it's, yeah. it's Indians versus Indians. And then like yes. white people trying to manipulate those native The groups. white people are bad in this movie. The English are bad. The, the French are bad. They're bad in kind of different ways. Like, we they, haven't even talked about our friend who ends up roasted and then shot on the, oh, <laughs> on the scaffold. Can I throw out a hot take? That, that guy has a, yeah, has a nasty exit. Considering that you think the movie's going to end with like, you know what? Cora will end up with this guy because he's going to turn right, out to be right. like, look, you can't really stay you know, in the wild, you've got to go back to civilization. And instead, it's like, no, <laughs> he gets burnt up. What does he say to Daniel Day-Lewis when he's walking by? He has some incredible final... Oh, work. you mean when he's being, like, dragged away? Daniel Day-Lewis is like, I told you me. D d offer me. Right. And yeah. he's like something like, point taken. He says something <laughs> like, duly noted. As he's, like, walking to be burned that alive. Actually, that makes me respect that character more because that requires some chill. He had some, like, an epic, like, yeah, dirt off the shoulder. He says something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a good exit for him. He's pretty boring until then, but then, I mean, that scene's great. I mean, he's he's needed in the movie, though, right? You've yes. got to have the kind of, the, the, the bad white guy being dragged along to kind yeah. of demonstrate that point of view throughout 100%. the movie. It yeah. also, I mean, it's, their introduction is so funny because you open with like this super intense action sequence where you don't know what's going on and then it turns out it's them hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go to like this very austere, like the two of them sitting under like a canopy, like drinking, or they're just like the Milva field, like drinking tea. Right. And he's like very casually proposing marriage to her. And she's like, I don't, I don't know you, brah. Yeah. She's like, I didn't know. And he's like, 
just think about it. And she's like, okay. I'm a nice guy. Right. And she's like, the, fuck you. What are you talking about? This is basically that actor, Stephen Waddington, who plays mm-hmm. uh, Hayward. The only thing he'd done before this is the Derek Jarman movie, Edward II. Oh, really? Like, this is basically his first, like, mainstream role. But then you have, like, uh, Danny Day going back to the house with Terry Kenny, and everyone's just sort of going, like, dude, when are you going to, like, get a girlfriend? <laughs> like, come on, like, take it easy. And he's like, I have no interests. Right. I protect the factions. And this whole thing being established of just, like, the the British and the French trying to win over the tribes, right. but also offering no protection. Right. And there's this sort of self uh, the 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 survival instincts of just like why should we go fight your wars right. when you're not promising that anyone's gonna take care of our families, our homes, any of this? Right. Uh, it was like a proxy war, you know. There was the Seven Years' War in Europe, right? And this was America was like one sort of dimension of that war, and all for the Hudson River. I mean, it's kind of hey, it's a nice river. Well, you you didn't take a swim in it. I swim in the Hudson River. Yeah, when. Uh, upstate, not downstate. Yeah, what time of year? In the summer. Okay, I was gonna say you should have done July. <laughs> Dana, can you uh, just just get us back on track, please? Please. <laughs> um, well, what else? What else about this movie needs to be talked about that we haven't talked about? Waterfalls, canoes. <sighs> yeah, we'll the second half. All right. Well, well, all right. well once yeah, all the, the once all the table. Two right. Acts. Two acts, What's the right. second act? Because once the table is set, then the film does become this kind of dynamic of just like he's trying to keep her alive, yes. and West Judy right. is trying to catch him. Like the, there's a basic him. sort of chase mechanic. If anyone talks to West Judy, he's like, I'm totally going to kill everyone and yeah. extinguish every last flame of their family. And can you, you know? remind he's me of his backstory? The movie. scene where we Magua? get to hear. Yeah. Well, what's the reason that Magua has this huge thing out for the, the, the dad of the two hates girls? The gray he hates Colonel Monroe, the, who he calls gray hair yeah. specifically because that that guy killed um, the, the his family, I think. Mm-hmm. Like he, he, his his. Um, his his whole family is gone. Yeah, the idea that there was some it's revenge. Um, at one point, he like the Huron were you know attacked by the Mohawks, and uh, he uh, was punished by Colonel Monroe for like drinking whiskey and like whipped you know and things like that. Like there's this there's all this enmity, and by the time he gets back to his Huron tribe, his wife has like married someone else. That's the thing he sort of ends on. Which we're supposed to be like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. You know, like, this and thing so he's like, that, so I'm totally going to eat his heart right. and kill all his children. And it's this thing that like uh, the, sort of gets called out where it's like he sort of got warped and converted partially by the Europeans. Well, right. In that big pivotal scene, that's Hawkeye's argument. Is he's like, kind of stuck in between like two zones person, now. And right? he's you're like lost like his family. Mm. He's adopted certain characteristics of the colonials, but he's still... Uh, so protective of his own identity that he's just kind of like, fuck everything, fuck everyone, kill them all, right. cut their hearts out. In the book, as we were discussing, there is a pivotal fight scene where Hawkeye wears a bear outfit, mm-hmm. like the skin of a bear, and wrestles with Magua. Yeah, sounds cool. Yeah. It's too bad they decided to leave that out because that would be, a DDL in a bear suit is something oh, I would like to see. Sounds pretty great. I mean, the, the classic here. There they are. Um, it's in the cave. Oh, wow. so, so it's, it's an like, illustration from the original book. Yeah, it's well, like, and it just looks like a bear. Like it's right. like a full. It's not like he's got a pelt cloaked over. I his believe shoulder. it's how Hawkeye like sneaks in. Like it's sort of his stealth oh um, suit. Yeah, it does just look like a bear. Here's the thing that I've been thinking about. Uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. When people were asking him, like, do you believe he's really going to retire? Like, what do you think about this? 
he was like, look, I'll say this. The guy is very lazy. Like he doesn't like working. Right. And I think it's because he knows how much he puts into the sure. work. Right. So he's very scared to do it because once he commits to something, he's going to go. kind of sucks all the life Well, it's out kind of, of like right. bipolar laziness, right? He's right, either right. doing nothing or he's all out. Right. And he was like, he like, I, it, so he was like, had this come out and he's like, look, we're like friends. Like we talk, we keep in touch. Yeah. I call him, we email, whatever. And I said, like, would you want to try to do something with me? And the whole pitch for Phantom Thread was like, we can write it together. Right. Like, by Paul Thomas Anderson's admission, he co-wrote the movie and just didn't want credit for it. I remember reading about their text right. exchange. Did you yes. hear about this when they were naming the character? They right. were texting each other possible names for the character. And then Daniel Day-Lewis was the one who texted Reynolds Woodcock. And, and apparently like, Paul Thomas Anderson dissolved in laughter. He was like, that's it. That's it. We can't do that. But it's the like, House of Woodcock. The way Phantom Thread was, like, conceived is the same way, like, this podcast was conceived. Which is yes. just, like... The two of us texting bits to each other until right. we were like, I don't know, should we do this? Yeah, right. This is fun. Right. So like Paul Thomas Anderson kind I of like. I think that this podcast is a similar artistic gift oh, to no the question. world. That no the, cra- the craftsmanship exactly. is pretty much on the same the cra- level. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, right. yes, on, yeah, a, on right. a pure technical level, the tech specs of this <laughs> I thing. mean, Belgian royals are always coming in to uh, listen yeah. to this podcast. No question. Yeah. Uh, but, but that like uh, PTA kind of tricked him into doing the movie by like getting him so invested in the incubation of the thing that it was like, oh, now, now, you know, you got to do it. But he was like, what do you think he's going to do when he gives up? And he's like, I don't know. And he, like, loves watching reality TV. And he was like, yeah, he's just, like, on his couch all the time. And he'll call me and just be like, I just watched Cat from Hell. Have you seen this thing? I'd love to hang out with him. I'd also be terrified to hang out with him and just try and understand but what he's like as a person. He's like, so fun. <laughs> I want to just Fuck know up. his media diet. Like, I want to know, like, is Dante Lewis playing Fortnite now? You know, Maybe he is. Does he have kids? He has kids, right? He's got kids, yeah. yeah. His son's a rapper, I think. Oh, boy. He's got yeah. a Switch. He's big on that. Yeah, he's into the Nintendo Switch. Yeah. He likes uh, Lizzo right now. Oh, he's big Lizzo stan. Yeah, he's playing um, Mario Maker. Um, Yes. How did we get on this? You just wanted to talk about this. I just wonder what he does with his days now. I do, too. Well, maybe he makes canoes because he learned how to make a canoe in this movie. Yeah. He loves jeweling. He's a mango guy. He probably does love jeweling. He probably does love jeweling. How old is he? 62. He's 62. Yeah, he's he looks so good. He looks great. I mean, he has so much of his life ahead to do interesting stuff. I God know. bless him. I just hope that one day, right, that he... Whatever. I think he's going to come back Or maybe he texts Dane, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. He's like, you know what? What if we did a movie about, you know, a guy who lived in the Arctic or something? I, I don't guess, know. Like he has some insane idea. Again. I mean, he's done six movies this millennium. He has sure. done six films since... 2000 sure. in total. Right. Which is pretty low for someone of his stature. Yeah, six. Right. And they're long gaps. I mean, there are a couple times where he did them close together. No, a weird really. outlier is nine. Nine's a weird movie. Because it feels weird that he does nine that quickly after There Will Be Blood. And I also would argue that's like it shows. It's one of his worst performances. Yeah. And it's like the accent's bad. And you're just like, does, does he just need that much time? Like, is I completely right. blocked out that movie. He I made so nine. Weird. Hated it. I hated Marshall. that movie it's on so many good movie. It's a no. bad movie. And with Rob Marshall, you know, like he would, always, it would be like he's working with Scorsese and he's working with Paul. Like it would always right. be like he's working with this extremely like important director. And it was announced as Bardem right after Bardem had won the Oscar. Sure. Right. And then Bardem dropped out and they were like, well, now they're not going to make it. Who could replace Bardem? And it was like in a crazy turn of events. Daniel Day-Lewis is dropping into the film in active pre-production. Like, he signed on, like, months before the film was starting production, and he's a guy who's like, I need three years in the woods, and then I'll get back to it. Right, he had to make eight and a half movies. And he made a movie where 
Sorry. He made a movie where he's like singing and dancing the whole time. And where he's like sort of doing an Italian accent. That must have been why he took it, right? It must have just been like, this is a lark and it's so different from anything I've, I've never ever done. done. A musical, I think so. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All but it's stuff. like so odd. And then he doesn't do anything until Lincoln. And he was like, I didn't want to do Lincoln. Spielberg had to like beat me down. And then he <laughs> does. Did- he ever say he did want to do any of his movies? I think he wanted to do Gangs of New York. Although that was a bit, uh, his other big gap, because that was after The Boxer, he was yeah. like, maybe I'm done. The Boxer was, was the, the one where he was like, maybe I'm retired. Right. Right. Yeah. That was a long gap. And Boxer was after like a couple years of like. He did The Crucible. After this movie, right. he does Age of Innocence, In the Name of the Father, The Crucible, The yeah. Boxer. Wow. And then that's his 90s. That's and then he goes 90s. and he makes some shoes. And he makes, he makes some, some shoes. shoes. Right. And then 2000s is Gangs of New York, then Jack and Rose. Right. Then. There Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood, Nine. Lincoln. Lincoln and, and Phantom Thread. It's quite a career. Yeah. So in the latter half of Last of Mohicans, uh, I don't know, they're running around and stuff. Uh, I mean, it's it just really more action a chase heavy. movie, right? It becomes a chase right. movie. Right. The politics go away. After the scene it becomes where personal. the Englishman treats with the Frenchman, yeah. which is a good scene. Uh, you know, where the Frenchman's like, what can I say? I mean, sure, we can have peace. Okay. You know, like that weird. The, is that the, the translation scene? Uh, no, not the translation. No. Remember when the, 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 the English colonel and the French colonel guy like have like a parlay? Over the siege. Right. Isn't that when yes. West Sudi kind of explains his backstory when they were like, so yes. what's your deal? That's when after that, where the Frenchman's like, look, I made peace. I can't kill these guys anymore. West Sudi's like, this is why I hate the gray hair. Right. And this is what I'm going to do to him. And the Frenchman's kind of like, look, if a bunch of Huron guys happen to attack, not my problem. Yeah. But the French can't attack. We, right. we, we struck a treaty over here. Like we have a ceasefire or whatever. Right. It's a weird like enemy of my enemy is my friend movie right. where everyone's working against their self-interest. Because then you have the scene where all the English are leaving the fort. They're yeah. going to the other fort and they get like, you know, ambushed on both sides. The big, that's the lot of running. That's when Daniel Day-Lewis just sort of gets the girls out of there. And That's a away. great action scene. It's I just incredible. remember the, the, the column of English and then yes. like the, the, that long shot where you see them being savage from both sides. It makes you understand kind of uh, old warfare yes. in a way yeah, that 100%. movies don't often do. Ugh. And like also, right, the sort of order, the like regiment of yeah. the English, you know, like cutting through. Like and how useless utter, that was. Like, like Vietnam, right? So right. useless in the cutting guerrilla warfare. Wild nature, right. Mm-hmm. And my, these. Yes. My favorite thing is when they're all firing their rifles. Yes. And the plumes of smoke are the coming smoke out. The smoke is everywhere. And there's so and many shots that you stop being able to see. That's what I love too. That feels like such a Michael Mann thing. Yeah. Where he'd be like, you wouldn't be able to see anything almost right. immediately because right. the gunpowder would be so like, and it would probably stink. Like, you know, it's like all that stuff. Right. But that constant critique that's being made of action sequences, which 99% of the time is true, that you don't know what's going on. Yes. And yeah. it's, you know, yes. too noisy and it's too jumbled. It's true in every superhero movie. It's so not true when it's Michael Mann directs here. action. Yes. Right, yes. right, totally. You know, at that point is when he takes them to the uh, to the waterfall and he gives the sort of like, uh, don't die speech. You know? Before the speech, there's a great waterfall moment that happens where they go over the smaller waterfall, yes, remember? And that. the English guy doesn't think he's going to be able to do it. And it's almost like this weird canoe empowerment moment where he does manage to do like, it oh, as okay. well. Oh, not so like, bad. this is just kind of like a ride, right? And then they get into the other waterfall and that's like, where it's like, all right, okay, no no more waterfalls. But, but even there, yes. you think there's going to be suspense about yes. are they going over the big waterfall? Instead, no. they just port their canoes yeah. in two seconds. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Uh, this is also- it's like the Anirondacks, baby. This is a very, very pre-TLC movie. I mean, they're chasing waterfalls for almost two hours straight. They didn't. Jesus. There was Christ. no warning to heat, and this Ben minds me getting a bucket. Come on, <laughs> like Candace LeBron Bergen. Podcaster, are we doing that? Um, Mago chops out the guy's heart at that ambush scene. 
chops yeah. up it. Yeah. yeah. And he, I love that he, he like revenge. he knocks the guy down and then they cut to this wider shot where what he's doing is obscured by another dead Englishman's body. Right. And right. you just see him like really yes, digging right. in. Digging you don't around. see it. You, you don't, don't see it. it. Right. And even when Hawkeye recounts it later, he says, I saw it from afar. There's right. almost like this dignity given to that act. Right. Yes. But then they cut in close to this low angle and you're like, oh, no, now we're seeing everything. Here's a heart in his hand. He's covered in blood. I wonder if some of that was an economic decision. Like we don't want to build an entire Maybe. wax yeah. torso or something. Maybe a ratings decision. Is this an R or a PG-13? Like, Because this movie is never quite like no, that's a good question. so I violent like it might be that PG-13. it— um, um, let's find out. Uh, no, it was not. It was rated G. R. <laughs> yeah, G. Yeah, right. It's rated R. This is also, uh, he does a lot of really weird, uh, like first person POV, uh, stuff in this movie mm-hmm. in like coverage where a lot of the times, especially when there's gunfighting, so often it's like, like the great train robbery, like straight into the lens, the actor, like looking down the barrel yeah. and pointing the gun. And then there's one of the scenes where, like, Daniel Day-Lewis and Madeline Stowe are kind of falling for each other. Mm-hmm. And the way he breaks up the coverage is Daniel Day-Lewis is exclusively in profile. And Madeline Stowe is, like, entirely head-on. Right. Staring straight into the camera. And it's like you're watching her fall in love with him. But it looks like you're seeing it. Mm-hmm. Like, she's falling in love with you. And that just cuts out to Daniel Day-Lewis just being like, yep. Profiles were important back then, though. You know, like you say, like Marilyn Stowe's got a face for a, a cameo. Yeah, she's you know? got such an old-fashioned face. She's perfect for that kind of period. She's um, got, like, unbelievable people, eyes, too. Great eyes. Like, incredible movie eyes. But then Westerdy, too, has this, like, incredible profile. Well, like, yeah, he yes. could be on a coin. D- Daniel Day-Lewis is one of the greatest profiles well, ever. Daniel Day-Lewis looks like... Um, the bridge of his nose is, like, Right, he looks insane. like the Muppet who's an eagle. He yeah. has that, like, sort of... He looks like a <laughs> right. falcon. Right, and he's like got he's those... he's got a beak. Those yeah. sort of lines, the indents underneath the cheekbones, you right. know, where, like, his cheeks get sunken in. He's, like, he does... I mean... It makes sense. Like, the Lincoln thing makes so much sense because they both just have, like, such strong faces. Strong face. Yeah. Um, and then, so, yes. Uh, Magua ca- catch, captures the ladies, takes them to his chief, his Sachem. Mm-hmm. Uh, who plays that guy, actually? Because uh, that, that guy's kind of good. Um, Dennis Banks, I think, is his name. Yes. Yeah. Another longtime leader in AIM. So, again, probably... This was his first movie, basically. I so. wonder if he and Russell Means had some backstage <laughs> yeah, tips some about beef. what AIM was supposed to be. I mean, yeah, you know, Means and Eric Schweig, who plays Uncas, like, they're in the movie a lot. They don't have mm-hmm. a ton to do, exactly. No. Um, but they're they're always sort of there. Uh, I feel like, because there's the Uncas romance with um, Alice. Alice is mostly unspoken. Like, it's mostly just a few glances, right? Like, Yeah, that's the B story. Yeah, yeah. it's very much the B story. Right. Um, Neither of them talk much. No. I mean, combined, they might have less than 10 lines of dialogue. Um, I mean, this could almost be a silent movie when you think yeah, about it. It could totally you know? be a silent movie. You'd only need some titles in the first half to establish the political stuff. The second half is almost, Which, could be dialogue But free. that's what's so weird about, like, Michael Mann being this guy who's all about, like, verisimilitude, picking a book that is so sort of pulpy, and then not even adapting that book, but, like, remaking the pulpy movie he saw based on it as a kid. Right. And he's just sort of making a more intense version of like, I mean, I remember there's a, there's a Roger Ebert review that's really interesting where he was positive on the movie right. and Roger Ebert was like a big Michael Mann fan, but he was sort of saying like, there's been so much talk in the press about like how much research they did 
and how historically accurate it is and how they built all the weapons and how and they hired like a, yeah. a thousand Native American actors. Right. Michael that, Mann right? and Dan Day Lewis lived in a cave for four years and whatever. And he's like, this is like an old fashioned adventure movie. Right. Like it's very much like a popcorn, like yeah. sort of like kids story, you know? And the Just way with the like period more brutality stuff looks. and stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. The period stuff looks accurately researched but right. it also in a very 90s way that it's you glossy. wouldn't see now it looks like everybody just walked out of the costume shop right, right right everyone's got beautiful makeup on too like and all that right stuff. right it's like very operatic in that sort of sense and like shiny in hollywood um it is weird that it's just like them committing themselves like wholly towards like some like adventure fiction yeah apparently i'm reading the eber review yeah. now that man said that the the 36 movie was his first movie memory so I guess See, it was like a it, crucial movie. But this is him. like the King right. Kong thing for me. Like right. you watch that movie and it's like Peter Jackson like pontificating for like four hours about King Kong. Right. And then people are like, did we watch the same? I don't think most of those scenes are in that. <laughs> and this just feels like the same thing where like this must have been the formative thing for Michael Mann. And he has this movie playing in his head all the time. And he's like, I want to make the movie that's in my head. Right. When I think, I think it works better thing. for him than for Peter Jackson. I have to say, Agreed. I don't think this movie I, stands I really up like great, Peter but. I like things about it, like uh-huh. Naomi Watts' performance. It's so yeah. funny. And of course, Andy Circus, incredible. Yes. Yeah. Right. But in general, I felt like that movie was a, was a failure. Did you I like it, it, We're going to no, talk about it I'm with you. I really, I really adore Watts' performance in that, though. And that was in that era where you were like, could Watts be like our next, like, sort of Cate Blanchett, like, great leading lady? Right. And then after that, I feel like she kept getting sort of crammy, crappy roles. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's the moment for her where you're like, this, this person can do anything. I remember her doing um, press where she was she's like, acting I'm, against I'm, an apple, right. Or, right? You know, like you know, like all, all that stuff. I thought she was going to win the Oscar for that. Oh, that's crazy. That's the Reese Witherspoon walk the line year, which we agree that Reese Witherspoon's the business. I that, love her in that movie. I, I think she's fine in that movie. I understand. I, understand I would give saying. Reese Witherspoon two Oscars for other films. <laughs> sure. You know, like I understand. I understand, but I think that performance is fine. And when I saw King Kong, I was like, well, this is like undeniable. Oof. I do not like King Kong. I the, would happily watch it again someday. The only of it is undeniable. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You're sure. going to watch it again someday because we're doing it on the podcast. I'm, I'm ready to do Peter Jackson. I'm ready for him. I ha- I fell out of love with him, and now I'm sort of like, now now that Hollywood has gone where it's gone, Yeah, I am nostalgic for his franchise-driven era. You know what I mean? Like, it was a better franchise-driven era. Did you see that recent news nugget that uh, Warner Brothers offered him Aquaman like five times? Yeah, they were like, they kept calling him and been like, it's, you've never heard of this guy, but he lives in the sea. And Peter Jackson's like, I told you I'm not doing Aquaman. Is that Aquaman guy again? (laughs) But they just like kept on, like, it's the other thing where like, apparently they keep on offering these movies to like Zemeckis. Zemeckis, right. That all of these guys are just constantly like, if we can get one of these dudes. Sure, surely they'll knock it out of the park. Right. Don't they want to go but back I to I interviewed making, like, Zemeckis for yeah. Allied. Yeah. And he, he was seems very, no he was like, I hate that shit. Yeah. Because like, I was like, why did you make this movie? Right. And he was like, because we don't make these movies anymore and I hate all this superhero garbage. Like he was very grumpy right. and very like straightforward about it. And I think Jackson, like, I, I don't know, like. He doesn't seem to have... Jackson, I think, is in that period. He's like, I'll do something if I want to do it. Right. Otherwise, forget it. But he's so much more interested in, like, converting old footage. Yeah. You know? Did you see his Weird War documentary? I know no, you're No, I really of, want to see it because the colorizing cool. thing sounds fascinating. It's pretty fascinating. It didn't play on big screens long enough, and no, I wanted to see it on the it had, like, a very screen. much a special event they kind of presentation. it will show it'll up. It'll roll out, yeah, for, like, a like night. it'll be, like, 10 a.m. Yeah. at some theater. Yeah. It's cool. I saw it with, like, the 3D glasses and everything, and it was, yeah. it was cool. Um, the big scene that I've already said that I love so much is at the end yes. is, is him treating with his chief 
you got Hawkeye there. He kind of just walks in. Hawkeye's movies just he walks in and people keep like punching him and he's Can like, Can I point whatever. out a thing about him walking in yeah. is that he finds them so quickly, yes. right? Like yeah. after the huge romantic are. speech that everybody's right. like trembling in My the cave. My girlfriend's objection and was he this says, She's like, oh. He says, however long it takes. Yeah. And it seems like, like 10 minutes. in the movie time, I mean, even in the real time of the movie's world, it couldn't have taken more than a it's day like or two. It's the next morning. <laughs> He's been watching I mean, he goes them. to the is, town. Yeah, it right. is set up in the movie because he's been watching them from the crow's nest where he was supposed to take the shot at Thor. What? This is a Hawkeye joke now? This is a Hawkeye joke. Uh, yes. I think he just goes to the settlement. That's his move, right? Yeah. He's like, I guess he'll take him there. Yes. And then he just goes there. He gets one punch. Right. Someone clubs him. He gets like cut in the chest. I love that when he's like walking in and yeah. people are hitting him and he's like, okay, enough. Yeah, enough. right. And then why, they're like, keep Why is it not, not worse? Why is he not just murdered by mob violence at I that don't know. moment? I think they're surprised that he's not coming in on the defensive. I think they expect that a guy who has clearly like broken so many like rules at this point wouldn't like come in like right. fucking he's sort of coming in guns like, a blazing. Hey. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm just here to talk. Right? right. So they're like testing him, and they're like, "What if we hit him in the back of the head?" And he doesn't and he's respond. Like, Please right. don't. And then they just keep on attacking him until they finally sort of grab him. Yeah. And you have this incredible scene that speaks to the sort of colonial mess of the Adirondack Mountains and like New York and mm-hmm. America, right? Where some of the Native Americans, like the Hurons, speak French, and the Mohicans speak English, and the English speak French. And like the you know like where like everyone speaks and like there's not one common language they no can all, but he's right. like saying to the English guy right. he's like you speak French right I don't speak Huron so like you say this into French so yeah. you use your second language to speak to them in their second language yeah. and the whole argument is over like are we being too French <laughs> right are we becoming like, like those French Hawkeye people? is like, like we calling being the Huron the Huron like Hawkeye yeah. is saying to like Magua is being real French right now he's being real colonial he's being, yeah. which is funny that a white guy is. Uh, is the one to be like, hey, bro, like, right. I'm I'm salt to the earth. You're the one who's like, you know, getting yeah. all like, I'm gonna wipe out my enemies, you yeah. know. Um, but that's like the argument that's being had. You're right that the layers of languages are great in that scene, it. and he doesn't make man doesn't make too big a deal of it. He doesn't no. cut back and forth constantly between who's translating. You just hear this like web of sound. Yes, it's almost like the Sound Academy Award was earned just by that Hell one yeah. scene. Yeah, they won that Oscar, and uh, um, the chief kind of tries to play Solomon. He's sort of like. All right, you can kill one daughter. Yeah. <laughs> right? And uh, you kill yeah. one, you marry the mo- the other. Is everyone cool with right. that? And and the, yeah. the guy can go back cuz I don't care about him. Yeah. You know, cuz he's he's sort of unrelated. And so then both men are like, "No, I'll I'll sacrifice myself for right. the lady and um what's his name? Waddington, that's the actor. Waddington's yeah. the actor. Hayward, 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 Hayward sort of Right. As translator takes the takes Which, the bullet. Look, I mean, it works because up until like this point, you're just sort of like, why is this, this guy still weight. in the movie? Yeah, right. He's dead weight. He's a Baxter. Right. You know, a Baxter. Yeah. And then like, you're like, pretty cool move. Yeah. Rather than the other version of this in these stories, where the scorned guy turns villain evil. Right. Right. Like, right. He, in a strange way, you end up, even though that guy's been kind of a jerk and kind of sure. dead weight the whole time narratively. You really feel for him when he's, you know, tied to the stake and burned alive. And yep. then there's that incredible mercy long incredible. shot from DDL. It's really good. Well, and you also get like this movie so saves itself. I think in the last twenty minutes, yeah. like I like the movie. I like watching it. It's, it's fun. Like we, yeah. we do. but I agree with you guys that like it can, it's sort of messy. It feels old fashioned. But then the ending is all these like kind of where you're like, oh, I forgot. Right, I forgot this happens, and then right, like the ending kind of just 
Well, almost and then, with the ending yeah, being from too. when he jumps off the waterfall on, like that's sort of where yeah, I would clock it. Totally. Right? And this also like this is when you get into the classic Michael Mann territory, which is like I feel like so many of his movies come down to like how do you walk away from this? Right. Like ending with some scene and the weight of that scene and just going like what do the characters do now? Right. How do they ever shake this off? You right. know? Um, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Uh, da, 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 I don't remember. I don't know the big chase. I mean, then and then yeah. it's just the chase. Yes. It's just Uncas going after Jody May, going after, um, I keep forgetting her name, Alice. Jesus. Yeah. Right? Like, that, that's the end. Right. Is, is the West Studio. Oh, what I was going to say, Showdowns. what I was going to say is uh, for, for Waddington, whatever his name is, it must be, like, so frustrating because at the beginning of the movie, it's like, here's a proper uh, proposal. Look at that. Here's your tea. Nice table. So what do you think? And she's like, I don't know you well enough. And he's like, what the fucking... Come, how much time, how much legwork do I have to put in there? And then, like, she's with Dale Day-Lewis a day, and she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is the yeah, guy. Right, right. Hawkeye, your name right, is? Right. Uh, Natty? He's like, well, this guy's been around, like, eight hours. Call me Mrs. Bumpo. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you guys like the last fights? I don't know. I do. I mean, it... Mia it, Uncas versus... Um, I also, I just, uh, I like Jesus, how... Uh, Magua. I like how messy it, it yeah. gets. Um... Uh, but but I also it he does the weird thing. I mean, you talk about the action being clean. It's also like the weird sparseness of it because it is still a time where there are like rules of conduct. Sure. So when you like cut out wide to like the side of the cliff, and it's just like two guys kind of just like Ugh. right, kind of wrestling. Ugh. And everyone else is just kind of just standing watching. back watching. Well, I have to point out that it also, it, it's it, consciously or no, it harks back to the many, many action movies, superhero movies among yeah. them that end on top of a yes. building, right? Yes. Instead of being, instead of, of duking it out on a skyscraper, they're duking it right. out on this cliff edge. Right. Yeah. And then like, yeah, Mission Impossible does this where they literally just go like, let's just make it a cliff edge again right. and totally. fall out. Right. But it is, it's that like that trope of like, oh, you have to have your final fight at a great elevation. So that you can kill off your bad guy. And it has to be man-to-man. Non-gruesome way, but you know they're dead. The classic. You just push them off the, right. Which seems like that's disappearing a bit more, right? People used to fall from high places a lot more often in movies. Classic Disney exit too, you know, again, non-gory. And plus it's just a stunt that always looks good on a big screen is someone falling through the air. Black Black Panther, he just leaves him at the top of the waterfall. That's kind of an interesting twist of it. Well, but in, no, well, he, he knocks Black Panther off the waterfall. No, I'm saying the final moment. Spoilers for Black You mean Panther. the final moment? Yeah, sure. Yes. But when yeah. they're there at the when waterfall yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's like, we can treat you. And Michael B. Jordan's like, no, I'm cool. I don't want to like live in a cage. And then he just leaves him there like dead at the waterfall. Right. It's a nice, it's kind of a nice version. He doesn't push him off. It's sure. a good movie. Um, so do you guys, you guys find the scene where Alice kills herself to be a little uh, problematic or because I, I really that's like I kind of love that I kind of love it too I, in the, I mean in the world that the movie has the set, up, movie it makes, set up it makes complete sense I also it's think kind of what, the only choice it sucks sure it's the only choice it's, she gets to make it's the right. only choice she can make with any autonomy at that moment well, in the film I also, and in a weird way she's romantically jo- joining Uncas at the bottom of, course, of the course. the other of thing it's very, yeah. it's very capital R romantic right. uh, as an exit but I also just love how Wes Judy plays it where he's looking at her with like basically bafflement like yeah. before she throws herself off her, he's like, you know, come on. Yeah. And then he kind That's of. That's such a great moment. He yeah, just he's like, like motions over. He's like, on. okay. On with uh, it. Yeah. And when she does it, he like plays like a weird sort of respect on his face. Like right. he doesn't change his face that much. Yeah. 
but it is like where he's like, oh, I, I, right. There was like honor in what she did, even though I don't, I, I never thought about her as right. anything, but like the seed of my hated, you know, colonial master, right? Well, like, you know, I mean, uh, uh, Hawkeye knows better than anyone. Suicide is painless. It's MASH. I had to get I mean, MASH. Well, he is named after Hawkeye from these from, books. Oh, really? Hawkeye Pierce, yes. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there you go. That is fascinating. Uh, for some reason. I don't know why. Where? Because his name is Benjamin Franklin in MASH. Benjamin Pitt. Franklin Pierce, yeah. Benjamin Franklin Pierce. Weird. You know, the, that's like the weird. And they call him Hawkeye. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's given the nickname from the character in Last of Mohicans, the only book my old man ever read. Wow. Yeah. Can I tell you some of the other names that Nathaniel Bumpo gets in these books? Please. They're amazing. Bumpo has gone by the aliases Straight Tongue, The Pigeon, The Lap Ear. <laughs> After obtaining his first rifle, he gained the sobriquet Deer Slayer, which is the name of one of the books. The sure, last, last right. book. The last one, right. And I think he's subsequently known as Hawkeye and La Longue Carabine, the long yeah. gun. In The Last of the Mohicans, he's known as Pathfinder and the Pathfinder. And he is known throughout as Leatherstocking, which is the name of the whole series. Oh, and The Trapper. I so those are all his, those, his uh, epithets. Good, a lot of epithets. Names. I think yeah. half of those names were at Coachella last year. <laughs> right? <laughs> Leatherstocking. Yeah, Deer Slayer. <laughs> Certainly, I want I want people to call me straight tongue. But has he graduated <laughs> to certain titles over the course of different miniseries? Yes, uh, such as the pigeon. <laughs> the pigeon's good. Lap ear. Uh, Why is he the pigeon? The fart detective. <laughs> You've got to read the whole series yeah. to see. Because right. he's like shitting on people's right. heads. Um, and then the final fight is Hawkeye has to just stand over there because the final fight uh, is his his adoptive dad, right? Like, yeah. That is, you know, they, they kind of. They let the book plot take over, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, he's just going to watch. He's going to watch. At what yeah. point does the title get uttered? I am the last of the Mohicans. Isn't it like right at the end? I think it's when he's, yeah, I thought it was when they're in I think it's when Uncas is still alive. Yeah. Yeah. Uncas is there when he says that. I but think, there is this. I think it's because I remember negotiate. thinking that yeah. he couldn't He couldn't be the last of the Mohicans at that moment because Uncas was still alive. But yeah. maybe right. I'm not remembering Well, he gives he this it. speech right at the end where he says, I'm to like the, the gods. Like, uh, take my son and you know, tell them there is all but one I and the last of the Mohicans, mm -hmm. right? His son is the last of the Mohicans, like... If he had lived. Right. Like, the idea is that he could continue. Well, he can't, though, because there are no other Mohicans left for him to... Like, there's no member of the Mohican tribe anymore, right? So it would be an inter... Yes. You know, marriage or whatever. So what is the affect we're left to walk out of this movie with? I mean, it's got That's a big romantic Hollywood ending, and yet it's dark as hell. The world right. they're going to is like, my sister just killed herself. My son has yes. just been horribly slaughtered. That's and the thing. world is on fire as right. one of Alice's only lines. Or no, is that, I forget, one of the, one. Uh, maybe Madeline Stowe says that. Uh, world's on fire, how about yours? That's why I like it. I never get bored. That's the final line. <laughs> but um, like, it's just like the ending of Heat where it's like, you got him. And then like Al Pacino is like a shell of himself. You know what I mean? Like so it's, many it's, of these movies. It's the how Man do you Hunter walk away from that this way. Thing. Yes, how do you walk away from it? Right. Well, you're, you know, like most, uh, he. it's the opposite of a happy ending. It's like the characters succeed and then you see collateral how, too. how yeah. thoroughly the events have broken them. Right. Because collateral it's, it's the last shot. It's a hollow success. Right. Collateral you know? the last shot is Jamie Foxx holding Jada Pinkett Smith as they like stumble yeah. away. Like it's usually there are survivors. They're kind of the heroes. I mean the fundamental one for me, the one I think of as like the, the perfect Michael Mann ending is the final shot of Miami Vice is just Jamie Foxx in the shower by himself. Yes. Right? And it's just no, like. No, no, no. No? It's not. No, no. No, the final shot of Miami Vice is Colin Farrell going into the hospital to see Jamie Foxx. The shower is earlier. I promise. Weird. Yeah. 
I just, I, that whole end section of Miami Vice where it's like, they've won. Also, Jamie Foxx will never get over this. Yeah, right. Like, like Naomi Harris isn't coming back, and he's just, like, broken. It's such a weird way to end, like, here's your summer blockbuster based off a populist TV show. And I think that's, like, his takeaway is just, like, like th- these events, like, aren't clean things in, in people's lives. If event is big enough to warrant a movie, it's not the kind of thing that you can then pack away neatly and just put on a shelf and right, move on. Right, right. I mean, I guess in a way you could say that all those endings you're mentioning, all the Michael Mann endings, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They, they bring back that line, stay alive no matter what occurs, right? right? Yeah, I mean, it's right. just about pure survival. That's, right. that's it's the survival. goal. And they do survive. Right. And that's the like the question he asks at the end of every movie is like, so what does their life look like now? Yeah. Right. You know, it, it, that makes me think about sequels and how odd it was. I mean, in our time, this would unquestionably have a sequel, Second right? to last of the Mohicans, yeah. Right, exactly. The first <laughs> of the something else, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Or, or whatever, a, pre- Deer a prequel, Hunter. like yeah, there whatever. are still 10 yeah. more Mohicans. Yes. No, they, but, I mean, definitely. It was a hit movie, oh, yeah. right? And there, it's based on a series of books, so the plots That's are right true. there. They would have announced this as a potential franchise Yeah, starter. and freaking, you know, give me an actor. Nicholas Holt would have played, you know, yeah. Captain whatever in a host credit scene or whatever. Yeah, Jai Courtney would show up, whatever. Yeah. It would be like a Lord of, I mean, right. King Arthur or They'd whatever. crossover right. yeah. with Mandrake the Magician. Um, I mean, this is, I assume this book is so old that you could, I could do one today, right? Public it must man. be public domain. Like We should add it to the slate, the blank check picture. Slate. Yeah, we're re- rebooting Last of the Mohicans. I'm sure that won't be problematic at all. Yeah. No, we have, we have a really sensitive actor in mind, culturally sensitive actor in mind to play Hawkeye. It's uh, Ben Hosley. Uh, yep. <laughs> I think it would be good. Let's play the box office game. September 25th, 1992, Griffin. I know my way around a ditch. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Right. Uh, Griffin, you hear that? It's September... 25th, 1992. The Last of the Mohicans opened to $10 million at the box office. Huge opening. It's going to make 75 Right. Domestic. Which adjusted is like 150 160 Oh. Yeah. So it was a hit. It was a big hit. Um, number two okay. is a movie I have a lot of fondness for. Oh, yeah, they don't make them like this anymore. Uh, like an, an old guy. I couldn't even call it an, an action movie. Guy. An old guy crime thriller but it's like a very light thriller it's a light thriller and it's and a, not old guy he's you know he's a older like 50s yeah right so he's like big actor huge actor from, huge ensemble like so many famous people in this movie sneakers is it sneakers oh sneakers phil alden robinson sneakers past guest uh ray centauri's favorite movie of all time I, that's he, can I just say the magazine Strong. that I work for Slate is so fond, editorially fond of sneakers that mm-hmm. they once devoted an entire issue to sneakers. It was just covering it from every possible sneakers angle. It's a great rules. movie. Great I mean, movie. Sneakers fucks really great hard. Movie. Is it about shoes or is it about no. like they sneak. tiptoeing? Ben, it's uh, about people who sneak. Yes. It's hacking. It's early hackers. Uh, it's and, early. And it's the, hacking. Yeah, the yeah. cast, uh, Robert Redford, yep. Sidney Poitier. Yep. Dan Aykroyd. That's right. River David Phoenix. Strathairn. David Strathairn. A blind David Strathairn. Yep. Mary McDonald. Yep. Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Uh, yeah. Uh, you, you got him all. River Ray, Phoenix, Ray yeah. Centauri has a custom-made spray-painted sneakers denim jacket, where he bought a denim jacket and had someone spray-paint the poster from Sneakers on the back. All Who right. Who was it that directed Sneakers? Phil Alden Robinson. It's his follow-up to Field of Dreams, uh, which is another movie I like. And after that. He doesn't make a movie until he makes a Jack Ryan movie 10 years later. Sum he makes The Sum of All Fears wow. with Ben Affleck. Yeah. And then like 
12 years after that, he made The Angriest Man in Brooklyn, which like never came out, like a Robin Williams movie. And that's it. Like he's one of those guys where I couldn't even tell you how he works. Like, does he just have the money and he doesn't care? I have no idea. I don't know how like how his career that's is. That's so weird. Yeah. I mean, anyway. I have to imagine Phil. But that would be a good residuals. weekend at the movies. See Last of the Mohicans yeah. and then maybe like sneak into the theater, sneak he, into sneakers. You gotta sneak into sneakers. All of the movies in the top five are a good. All right. So number three, it's a Disney comedy, but it's for it's like a PG thirteen comedy with a huge star, two huge stars. Proper Disney or like Touchdown. Uh, good question. I actually think it's Touchdown. Because it's a PG-13. Sort of a saucy uh, aquatic comedy. That's a saucy aquatic comedy? Well, it's not... Yeah, it's Touchdown. It's not Splash. No. Aquatic. Yeah. It's wet. It's wet. Or is it a boat-based? It's a boat movie. It's a boat. It's not Captain Ron. It's Captain Ron. It's Captain Ron. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say Speed 2. Well, that's a little later. Speed 2, Cruise Control. That's coming up. Captain Ron, uh, part of uh, Ben Hosley's Porch Classics series. Yeah, you got sure. Kurt Russell. You got Martin Short. Who his, else is his in Captain Ron? His gold label VHS line. Uh, <laughs> uh, who's the? I we, I I fell down a, a hole of watching like the first thirty minutes of Captain Ron. It's on HBO. It was and, on. It was on TV. I was oh, watching okay. it with Mary Kay uh, Place, my girlfriend, TC Fourteen. All right. Yeah. Um. All right. Number three of the uh, number four. Sorry. Is uh. Ooh. It's like a serious comedy. It's new this week. Serious comedy? Yes. Pick one. It's a comedy slash drama. A dramedy? Yeah. Uh, from a big comedy star. I think he wrote, he may have directed. Oh, Is it he? a Billy Crystal? Yes. Is it Mr. Saturday Night? Mr. Saturday Night. You are on fire. Thank you. That's a he movie. Wrote and How do you hone that skill? Do you just sit around and like peruse box office records? Dana. I mean, first of all, I do. It's one of my favorite pastimes. He genuinely does. I genuinely do. Uh, uh, the second thing is, uh, my father and I would read the box office top 10 Monday morning, uh, every week. Uh, cause I've, I've now told this story like 17 times. My father loves sports and he loves sports scores. And that was the ritual my father, and my brother had together. And, uh, so that was the, the, Hey dad, let's make a lane where we can bond with each other. So like every, uh, box office from like 1996 on, I remember viscerally, uh, reading through it with him. And now it's like still one of the main things we talk about. Nice. It's just like good hold on that. Uh, we have a great relationship. Um, uh, I'm on fire today. Mr. Shining Night's a movie I'm like fascinated by. Me too. But it's also one of those movies that I'm always like, this is good. Like it has to be. And then you turn it on. You're like, right. No. Right. No. It's not actually good. I remember seeing it. It's, it's very really flawed. sappy, right? It's very really sappy. sappy. It's way too long. So long. Um, it's it's Billy Crystal. You know You know what I mean? Like right. at the end of the day, you're like, oh, is this like his darker movie? And you realize like he can't not be a sap. Well, that's the problem. Like, is, that's like, just so part of him. He's playing a guy whose he's problem an is that he's right. a sap and an right. asshole. Right. Like it feels like it should be his introspective movie. But then it's this weird note of like it's a guy who like got stuck in the middle. Like that's the whole take on the movie is like on the way to the top, he got stuck in the middle. Right. And but then the movie's about him sort of being reevaluated late in life. So there's this whole like corny angle to it. David Paymer like rules in it. Yeah, I was just Googling nomination. David Paymer's right. name because I was remembering how great the brother was. In that and that movie. was the whole thing was they were like, this is Billy's big swing. This is his dances with right. wolves. Billy's going to get director, picture, right, right. screenplay, actor. And everyone was like, hold the crystal. Give me Paymer. <laughs> right. Like Paymer's just <laughs> the, like the, the in the pocket. Did so he get nominated? David no. Paymer. Oh, no, Paymer, Paymer got nominated. Did. Paymer did. Paymer yeah. was like the only nomination the movie got. Uh, I just remember watching it like fairly young on TV with my parents. And I was like, 
is is this good? Like it was like so. It, it seems like stately and it's like or whatever, epic right? and it's self important, and it's like clearly like expensive. And I was like, is this a good movie? And they were like, I don't know, like not really. But we just like watched the whole thing on TV at my grandparents' house. And I was like, when's this from? They were like two years ago. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know what this like the deal with this thing is. It's it's like a weird like it goes back and forth between him as a bitter old man yes. and like the he's the got story, an old age, right. old age makeup and all what that. What a weird yeah. fucking movie. And it's sort of based on an SNL skit. Sure. Is he it? did this character once as like an just an old timey comedian, like a Borschtbell comedian, and then like post uh, you know City Slickers or whatever, he was like, "I'm cashing in my check. I'm making this a, a two and a half hour fucking melodrama." What a weird guy! He's a weird guy. Like that's an example of I would love to do that as a one off episode. Is like it, I, I don't want to directed any other movies. Uh, there's the one, there's the Paris one with Deborah Winger. Forget Paris. Yeah, right. and maybe he directed one other movie. He's directed that TV movie about the Yankees. He like was one of those guys where he like went oh, to he NY. Likes the Yankees. You know, I don't know if you know this. Bill Crystal used to go to the Yankees with his dad. Seven hundred Sundays. <laughs> Bill Crystal. Uh, he went to NYU for like film school and he was like, I'm going to be a director. That's what I want to be. And then sort of fell into to comedy and acting. So like when he got so big, he was like, well, now I finally get to do what I always wanted to do, direct. And everyone was like, no me gusta. <laughs> Try again. Yeah. Number five, uh, just to finish, is a movie we've covered on this very podcast, a classic of 1992. So rooted in its era, a comedy. A generational comedy. Ben's looking at the monitor. He's nodding in a great Maybe not a great movie. I remember but, uh, I made a good joke on this episode. Oh, 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 I know what movie it is. <laughs> what? What is it? I'm joking. I'm saying off of Ben making a good joke, I was going to recall it. Generational, like intergenerational? No, like it's about a generation. Singles? Like it's a... Mm, nice. I was going to say Reality Bites, but that's a little Which bit later. Is, of course, the right. same, same, right. exact same vibe. Yeah. So Dana, uh, probably Joker, a better movie. Well, are you a singles person or a Reality Bites person? I or, mean, I, honestly, I'm very Gen X in that I kind of sneered at them both at wow, the time. Because cool. they were trying to be like, finally, cool. they're telling their own story. Generation X, here for you on the big screen. Yeah, And we're still doing it in that big, dumb Gen X package from the, <laughs> the New York Times magazine. Yeah. I think probably rewatching them now, I would probably prefer Reality Bites. Because yes. I just love a Winona. But, yes. uh, but I don't think I was that big on either one. No. I am not big on either one either, but uh, I guess I'll take Reality Bites is a little more of a movie. I'll say that's the Singles one, is kind yeah. of just like, it's kind of bullshit. Reality I mean, it's kind of Bites, fun, but like it doesn't really amount to much. Reality Bites is the one I think I prefer, but after rewatching Singles for this podcast, I never want to watch Reality Bites again. Sure. Because I you're also like, thought oh, I liked Singles a lot. Yeah, yeah. Abandon hope all yeah. ye who enter here. Like, yeah, right. 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 I went through my big uh, uh, Gen X period in 2003 and got really into both of those movies. Right. Uh, ben, what's the great joke you made on the singles episode? Uh, he uh, he tries to kill himself uh, on a suicide. No, that's that's not, a totally Elizabeth different movie. Town. That's Elizabeth Town. That's a totally oh, different movie. Yeah. Okay. You thought singles had a suicide in it? <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Elizabeth Town. That's when Cameron Crowe's lost the plot. <laughs> that joke was worth reviving. It was the suicide. <laughs> have you have you seen Elizabeth Town, Dana? No. At the beginning of the film, uh, Orlando Bloom is so despondent because of the failure of the shoe he designed. He designed a a blank check sneaker. Yeah, he designed like the Edsel of sneakers, where yes. like it was supposed to change the world. But he forgot to put in the sole or something? Yeah, right. No sole. 
If only the film had that nuance of writing. Honestly, it, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. But he makes like the Ishtar of sneakers <laughs> yeah, and it blows yeah. up in his face and every front page of every newspaper is like, <laughs> can you believe the failure of the sneaker? And he goes home and he's got like an exercise bike and he takes a large kitchen knife, like a huge like sort of like chopping knife and duct tapes it to the handle of the exercise bike <laughs> so that he can pedal the bike and then it will stab him. The Therefore, way the handles move back is, and forth. Here is the bad shoe. Cycle. Which it's is from our Wikipedia page. Spasmodica. <laughs> yep, there it is. But so he, he attempts to kill himself. Is there ever any mockery of that suicide method in the movie? As Absolutely far as I know, not. it's not touched he's on He's alone again. in an apartment. It's played and he's for like, serious, yeah. Okay, I guess I gotta do this. Uh, Orlando Bloom doing one of the worst American accents of all time. He sounds yes, like Thomas the Tank Engine. sounds like a cartoon tugboat. <laughs> right, he's like, okay, it, here we go. I guess I'm going to commit suicide. What's the most efficient method? Right. Duct tape, two-handle, pedals, tests it out. Gets ready, sits in the chair, and then he gets the phone call from Judy Greer saying that his dad died. And then the movie is sometimes you got to go home to figure out where you... God, that movie is unconscionable. It remains the worst film we've ever discussed on this podcast. David, right. So David recently said he thinks it's the worst film we've discussed in four, almost going on five years during this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're four and a half years now. Yeah. Because what the top three, or rather the bottom three... Right. uh, Last Airbender? Sure. The Shaman, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, you said Elizabeth Town. Yeah. And then did you open the book? Do you open the book? No, no. Oh, you forget what the other one was now. It wasn't Spanglish. You offered Spanglish, but that. I'll do anything? Not, maybe. I don't remember. I don't remember. I'll do anything. It's terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think Book of Henry is the worst movie. Um, all right. So that's it. We're done. That's it. Good episode, guys. We're um, done. We did. We did it. Right? That's it. Do I have to? This is attach, how we end every episode, Dana. Is that we decide whether we're done. An apology to yeah, this episode to, to me, yes, and Griffin, and, Griffin. and Dana, okay. <laughs> right? Um, let's Dana. Let's plug your podcast again. Yeah, uh, let's flash we, back we fly to earlier in the episode when yeah. we were talking about flashback. Right. Yes, you can hear me on Flashback or on the Slate Culture Gabfest, which is a weekly culture podcast that is free. Hey, yes. you also have a producer, Ben. Yes, we do. And I, Ben, is very nice for friends. Oh, and I want to give him a shout out. All right. I will give him a hi from the other Ben. Yeah. But their show is like, you know, it's like, prof- I've been on their show and it's like, they cut it together and it's so professional and it's like, nothing. You're, you're very professional. You're very professional. Clearly I'm it's, vaping. It's more our style. It's uh, you know, we're just sort of, we're just sort of chatting. This is yeah. great. This is like the podcast equivalent of like having a drink on the beach. It's so fun. There hey, there you put go. that pull quote yeah, on exactly. the poster. Right. Pull we're, quote. Got it. All right. Um, but yeah, so flashback, grab fest, your book, but that's not all. And read uh, my re- movie reviews on Slate if you so choose. Hi, sign Please on Twitter. Do. You're one of the best writers out there. Oh, uh, eagerly looking forward to the Buster Keaton book. Uh, and then uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll have you back on to talk Buster Keaton at some point when I win this uh, battle. Uh, sure. I'll yeah. vote in that bracket. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. I don't know. We can do Is Keaton there one? Sometime. Do you have a favorite? Is there one you would want to claim? I mean... When somebody's like one of your favorite artists, it's, it kind of changes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, is there a movie I would claim? I might want to do a few shorts. I think what I would want to do is like oh, lasso a few wow. of my favorite shorts and talk about them because he was in a, a master of the two reeler yeah. and, and nobody watches those movies anymore because they're shorts. You know, they don't fit into the feature program. Yes. But like one week is like as funny as. Yeah. I mean, one week is a masterpiece, made. an absolute yeah. masterpiece. I just finished writing a chapter on it, actually. So the house. 
You know the house gag? I, I know the house gag, yes, yes. Falls down, he's at the window. He's at the window. Well, that, the, that big, one well, the I know. big version of that gag, of course, is in Steamboat Bill Jr. Right. Right. He, re- he repeats. Oh, well, yeah. It's a good it's gag. It's an old yeah. vaudeville gag. He does right. it with Arbuckle, too. Yeah. Do you know why they call him a uh, buster? No. Because uh, he used to just fall down a lot as a baby. So he was just busting And they around. were like, oh, he's like good at pratfalls. So they just like throw him around. <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. You know, it was right. a different time. And then when he was like five or something, he must have been like, hey, mom, dad, uh, two quick questions. One, why is my name Buster? Two, why do all of my bones hurt? <laughs> uh, I used to babysit a kid called Buster who was named after Buster Keaton, which is an intense name to give a kid. These if days. my daughter had been a boy, she was going to maybe be Buster. We couldn't really? decide. Wow. We couldn't decide if it was too extreme or too sounded too cute or something. But he's a true hero of mine, I, and it's a wonderful I've name. I've thought about naming a, a kid a kid Buster. The One thing of my is, I babysat this kid. Someday. This this kid was like seven years old. Yeah, and he was a cute little kid. So he Buster was a fantastic name. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to work when he's like thirty. Like you like yeah, uh, but uh, he. Was a, he was a, an appropriate buster. You want to attach a really dignified middle name. Yeah, sure, that they can maybe sub in if they need to, right? Like Buster Henry. Buster Rhymes. Uh, a Buster Rhymes, yes. And on that note, rap us. Come on, take this yes. train. Uh, this so this station. episode is dedicated to my future son, Buster Rhymes Newman. <laughs> uh, Dana, thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much. It was a delight. Uh, and uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Go to uh, uh, blankiesatred.com for some uh, real nerdy shit and Public for some real nerdy shirts and uh, Blank Check bonus features, maybe soon to be renamed Blank Check Plus on oh, Patreon. Yeah. Uh, uh, thanks to Andrew Gudo for our social media. Thanks to Joe Bowen and Pat Rounds for artwork. Thanks to Liam Montgomery for our uh, theme song. Uh, next week, tune in for uh, Heat. Yeah. Next, next week, the heat. heat is on with John Gabris. That's right. That's nice. right. The yeah. Heat is on yeah. with one of the action boys himself, mm-hmm. intern Gina Lombardo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as always, uh, my favorite my favorite scene in this movie is when um, uh, uh, Hawkeye retrieves the soul stone. Right. I don't know. <laughs>